Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this 16th roundtable discussion produced by Transparent Media Truth. This episode was recorded on September 8th, 2020. While our guests on the program today may not be well known in the United States, both are political powerhouses within their own countries and are currently involved in the necessary and growing international movement dedicated to ending the draconian police state measures implemented in many countries throughout the world as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Despite overwhelming scientific evidence that shows the mutated coronavirus has an infection fatality rate similar to a bad flu, with a herd immunity threshold of under 20%, as well as a plethora of proven effective treatments including hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, the corporate government narrative has many people still believing that millions would die without mask mandates, school and business closures, quarantine measures, constant testing, and contact tracing. According to mainstream sources, there is no other option but to continue to live under conditions akin to house arrest until a vaccine is produced that will save the day, while guaranteeing billions of dollars in government contracts for the politically well-connected and resulting in a permanent surveillance state with the power to lock up any who present with symptoms of the common cold. Rocco Gulati Esquire has had enough, and he isn't afraid to let the government of his native Canada know exactly how he feels. Rocco works with the Constitutional Rights Center of Canada to defend the freedoms of Canadian citizens against the considerable forces of corporate and government overreach. He has fought for the rights of many for health care freedom and the right to deny medical treatments, such as vaccines, under national and international criminal codes that require informed consent. Rocco has recently filed a constitutional challenge in the Superior Court of Ontario, seeking declamatory and injunctive relief against anti-COVID measures that deny citizens of their natural rights as outlined in the Canadian Constitution. He also includes the Canadian Broadcasting Company as a defendant for engaging in the censorship of perspectives that do not conform to the mainstream government corporate narrative. Find out more about Rocco Galati on Twitter at Rocco Galati Law, or on the web at www.constitutionalrightscenter.ca. Our second guest today will be Dr. Dolores Cahill, Ph.D. Dr. Cahill has impeccable credentials for anyone interested in debating the scientific and political aspects of the COVID-19 crisis. She holds Ph.D.s in molecular genetics and immunology and has been involved politically as both the vice chair of the Scientific Committee of the Innovative Medicines Initiative, a partnership between the European Commission and the drugs industry, and she is the chairperson of the Irish Freedom Party, which promotes the establishment of a free and independent Ireland and advocates for the protection of individual rights. Her combination of both political and scientific experience and expertise provides her with a unique perspective on issues relating to government intervention during just such a healthcare crisis as the one faced by the world today. She has been a vocal critic of the current pandemic response, speaking at the Time for Change rally in Dublin, as well as the Unite for Freedom rally in Trafalgar Square last August. She has more appearances slated for rallies scheduled on September 12th in Dublin and the Resist and Act for Freedom rally on the 19th in London in order to raise awareness through further political action. Please consider a PayPal donation to help cover costs. You can discover more of Dr. Cahill's work at www.doloriscahill.com and learn more about the Irish Freedom Party at irishfreedom.ie. 
I will be your host. My name is Doug McKenty. Find out more of my work, including my one-on-one long-form interview podcast, The Shift with Doug McKenty, at www.theshiftnow.com. I'm also on Facebook and YouTube at The Shift with Doug McKenty, and on Twitter at DMcKenty. As always, I'd like to thank Rob Rubin for putting this discussion together. You can find this and all other roundtable discussions on YouTube at Transparent Media Truth or on the web at transparentmediatruth.com. We're also on Twitter at TransparentMED1. Stay tuned for this informative conversation between myself, Rocco Galati Esquire, and Dr. Dolores Cahill. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this, the 16th roundtable discussion. This is Between Myself. I'm your host, Doug McKenty, and uh, we are joined today by Dolores Cahill uh, of the Irish Freedom Party, as well as Rocco Galati Esquire, who is a lawyer with the uh, Constitutional Rights Center in Canada. He's been very active. Both of these individuals have been very active uh, in uh, this current COVID crisis in terms of trying to prevent all of our freedoms from getting uh, tossed under the bus here. And uh, we've got some political actions happening here in the next couple of weeks that we want to discuss and really just kind of getting into the whole worldwide movement that is starting, hopefully, to pick up steam against uh, what governments uh, and international organizations across the world seem to be imposing upon all of us uh, without a lot of public discussion or political action. So I want to thank you both for being here today. This is a very important conversation. uh, And we'll just start, as we often do, with uh, uh, leading questions about your history and what you're doing and what you hope to discuss today. So, uh, Mr. Galati, you want to get started here and just give our audience uh, a little bit about yourself and and what you've been doing here in the last few months uh, in terms of the COVID crisis. Sure, I'm I, I've been I've been a lawyer now. I, I'm in my 32nd year, 32 years as a constitutional lawyer. Initially with the Department of Justice for the first three years, and then uh, on my own since. I only do cases against the government. And on July 6th, uh, two months ago, we filed a very comprehensive 191-page statement of claim against our prime minister, our provincial premier, and uh, the mayor of the biggest city in Canada, Toronto, uh, uh, for the COVID measures. And we've sought various declaratory relief, such as that the COVID measures are neither scientifically nor medically based, that they're extreme, unwarranted, and irrational and that there's a global agenda behind the measures. And uh, we plead all of that and the facts and the history in our statement of claim. And I am in the process of finalizing an injunction against the city of Toronto, uh, masking bylaw and the provincial education ordinance uh, requiring masking in the schools. And so hopefully I'll be filing that within a week or two and then asking for the earliest possible court date to go argue that. Uh, and unless you have any other questions, I'll, I'll leave that as my intro and uh, maybe uh, review some of the portions of the statement of claim in the course of the discussion. All right, sounds good. And uh, Dr. Cahill, do you want to explain uh, yourself and your history to our audience? Yes, just very briefly. It's great to be on with uh, you and Rocco. Uh, so my background is molecular genetics, molecular biology and immunology. I worked for 10 years in the Max Planck Institute developed some technology that looks at the specificity and cross-reactivity of antibodies and looks at antibodies in serum. Um, And then set up a company from 97 and sold it last year in 2019 that developed diagnostic tests. But part of my journey in science was to 
find out, we'll say, antibodies that may not have been to what they were sold to be in diagnostics, pathology, and research. So it brought me on a journey for about 20 years around research integrity and how do other scientists respond to validate their results and correct the scientific record, which is quite significant. And for about uh, 10 years, I was on the Government Advisory Science Council. And for about 15 years, I've been an expert in the European Union and I worked in the European Commission. And for 15 years, I've been a full professor in a university in Ireland. And I, I suppose I was aware of hydroxychloroquine and I've been researching this since January, working in the background because I ran a biosafety lab. I would have connections with people around the world. Um, I, I ran that lab uh, for about six years in the Max Planck, and I've been working with people who've been advising the White House since January, and I've been aware about hydroxychloroquine, for example, since January, and in the background trying to encourage people to promote its use. And then I came out in May the 11th because coronaviruses only infect people from the, and cause illness from December to April. So after 10 days then from, we we'll say, in May, no one should be dying of coronaviruses or SARS-CoV-2. So I did my interview on the 11th of May with Dave Cullen, Computing Forever. It got almost half a million views in six days, and then it was censored. And for the last 10 years as well, I've been fighting for academic freedom in the universities, including you know, debate and saying things like there's a biological difference between men and women and things like that. So mm -hmm. because I'm very sensitive to clamping down on debate in academia and I've been resisting that for 10 years and then in 2018 2019 I was involved in the Irish Freedom Party mainly you know around freedom of speech and academic freedom and fundamental rights so we're labeled by all kind of things but really um, I'm a huge advocate just for freedom of speech you know freedom of assembly freedom to practice religion uh, and bodily integrity which can be labeled as a lot of things but it's and I, I was promoting in Edinburgh at the weekend, there should be freedom parties now against this, you know, left, right and center all around the world. It's interesting that Dr. Cahill mentions the freedom of expression angle, because in our statement of claim, we sue our national broadcaster, the CBC, which is the equivalent of the British BBC. And I sue the CBC, my clients sue the CBC because it's completely funded by the taxpayers and citizens of Canada. It's our national broadcaster under a statutory mandate under the Broadcast Act. And we say in the statement of claim, quote, that the CBC has to been has been to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau what Pravda was to the Soviet Union during the Cold War. Mm -hmm. And they have completely blocked and censored any, any uh, COVID critical articles or experts. We cite well over 42 experts in our statement of claim of people that they refuse to even interview or cover. And we also, uh, under our constitutional framework in Canada, our Supreme Court has decided that you can inflict a constitutional violation either by overt legislative or executive act or which is rare, this is not the law in Europe or the United States, you can inflict a constitutional violation by omission, where the legislature fails to act to protect against the infliction of constitutional violations. And we say that our, our government, our prime minister, is inflicting a, a, a vicious breach of freedom of the media expression in the media by not clamping down 
on the CBC sensors, the Facebook sensors, yeah. the Twitter sensors, the YouTube sensors. Mm-hmm. And so we're taking them to task in this very lawsuit that we've launched. Yeah, that's great. Because there's mean- also a huge reputational issue. You know, if, you're, if your videos, that was really my first video. I deliberately was never, I'm not on social media, I'm not on Twitter. I did have, because I stood for election, a Facebook page. It's associated with the Freedom Party. Um, but, you know, this huge reputational damage if your video is censored by YouTube because they're saying that what you're saying is incorrect, which is, is shocking, you know. And also they're preventing health information getting out. And as we know, we say um, in steroids or hydroxychloroquine have been one of the safest drugs for uh, 65 years can be given to pregnant and breastfeeding women. And it turns out to be true. All, you know, a lot of what I was saying or all of what I was saying. So in a way, the media are censoring health information that can prevent symptoms, suffering, and death in everybody, including the elderly. So it's actually for our society that right. no one actually challenging that. Yeah, and, and in Canada, that would infringe our right to life, liberty, and security of person, which is another constitutional right that we have under our charter. It was great to see Robert Kennedy Jr. has sued Facebook. One of the three things he... He, he based this as a lawsuit is on defamation by saying that he was mounting or his organization was mounting disinformation. Uh, we have one of those lawsuits planned up ahead with respect to the to the big uh, 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 social media giants, because in the United States, the social media giants got congressional protection when this yeah. technology okay. first came out on the pretext that it was going to free freedom of expression. And now it's Absolutely. militaristically censored it in canada they have no such statutory protection uh they're they're prone to class action lawsuits by any and all canadians or others outside who have their uh, stuff taken down as quote misinformation and i love the word miss or disinformation because it seems like it transports you right back to two places that live in my mind the one is the the Roman Catholic Inquisition, because it's close to my heart as a recovering Catholic, and the Salem witch hunts in, in Massachusetts, where all they have to do is say, heretic, witch, and that's yeah. it. That starts, constitutes, and ends the debate. And of course, I'm representing uh, a doctor in Canada uh, who was al- uh, alleged to have been engaged in misinformation. And the first question I have is, what's the misinformation? Why is it misinformation? What is your evidence and proof that it's misinformation? You can't just expect to slap on the label and that ends everything. It's a very insidious, almost irrational uh, Roman Catholic Inquisition uh, tool that they're using. Uh, you know, you dare yeah, say it's actually a betrayal, though. You know? Sorry, yeah, it's a betrayal. It's kind of a betrayal. Mm-hmm the societal fundamental to people because of course it's very easy if you're a government or a health official to come out with you know changing the law or saying that something is killing you know millions of people and if no one challenges you they just you know revel in their authority and in Ireland they're bringing out amendments to these acts uh, every second day now and they're not challenged. Well you know the the thing I I often uh it amazes me that people often ask me, people who know me say, well, you know, I tell people that I view governments historically, there are exceptions, of course, but all governments in my mind, are simply an institutional manifestation of the beast and homo sapien. And they say, well, why don't you trust government? I say, why would you? Think about this for a second. Governments of all sorts throughout history have engaged in this 
following endearing quaint practices, wars, world wars, genocide, crimes against humanity, massive persecution and subjugation to torture and uh, suppression of every human right that a human possesses. Why would you have a default of trust for any government? Mm -hmm. And it surprises me, uh, Dr. Cahill, that in Ireland now, they're just trusting government, given your history of what it took for the Northern Irish to get their freedom from the British military oppression there for over 100 years. It's, it, it's amazing how people, uh, people uh, uh, just uh, accept it. I once read an article, and I'm not a scientist, so maybe Dr. Cahill can correct me, uh, where I sort of inject into my analysis, apparently human beings are one of the rare mammals that suffer from amnesia. And I think this is one of the reasons we're genetically predisposed to forget our history. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they're using, you know, 200 years of kind of psychology against us and neuro-linguistic programming. And, you know, right. I think what I was saying in Edinburgh at the weekend is that, you know, we are coming from a place of love that we want to actually expose what's going on so that people will not will get will say the medical treatments will not have to wear masks if it's doing them more harm but i think what we read our side will say needs to more be aware that people who are wearing the masks the ordinary people now not the government they're wearing the masks because they think they're actually protecting themselves and their families and people that right. we meet on the street so part of this thing, I, I've been calling out, but haven't really got a response that we kind of need a 12-step program like in Alcoholics Anonymous for us to learn how to communicate, you know, go six steps back. And for people who are wearing masks and kind of only hearing uh, from the media, that we can kind of step back, meet in a place to say, to recognize and how to talk to each other. Because we may not feel we're indoctrinated, but we're not speaking properly. We're, we don't know. Because I think if we were to tell them, which is the case that actually the people are telling, they're lying to them, are a lot of the medical profession, the media, and the politicians. And even now with the masks in the schools, you have the, and the universities, you have the university system and the teachers. And there's really nobody from the mental health community or psycho psychological community coming out, at least in Ireland that all of these you know, societal people that have got are professionals and are, have the benefit of good salaries and pensions are actually colluding with this uh, idea. Like, for example, it just came out a few days ago. In Ireland, we have a population of 5 million, and we were given figures for many months that over 1,700 people had died of COVID. Then on the 13th of July, it was around 1,000, 10% uh, under 65. But in the last few days, the um, health authorities have come out to say, in total, in the last six months, uh, 100 people in six months died of COVID-19, eight mm -hmm. or 65 out of a population of 5 million. So you're talking about 85 people die a day, 1,000 a month, So you're, and, and uh, only eight under 65. So we still have, you know, constraints in assembly and movement and the, the schools and the universities are wearing masks and in the in the airports they want to make us fill in passenger locator forms and track us and there are huge curtailments of businesses opening for eight people under 65 and it turns out no one has really died in the last few months you know there's been like figures you know a, a handful of figures 
but the government is talking about extending all of these measures for months to come. Right. So I think it's hard to communicate to people who are wearing masks and encouraging it. And I think we need to learn. We need to get psychologists to help us to learn because for them, when they realize they've been lied to, it may shatter their whole worldview and their trust in teachers, the medical profession, politicians, mm -hmm. media, and that's what they're resisting against, I think. You know, I'd like to add to this because here in the United States where we don't have a government run media, so it's not even so much of a conversation, but people really believe that the corporate media then is we have a free press and it's really difficult to get people to wrap their minds around the idea that these corporations uh, may be colluding or working, say, I, I mean, I'm not even exactly sure exactly how the, how the mechanism works here that the, the corporate press and all these different uh, organizations will push the same agenda at the same time, clearly a, a false agenda. Experts like yourself, Dr. Cahill, can attest to this. And, um, you know, the American public thinks, well, if, if it's coming from so many different news sources at the same time, it must be true because all these journalists must be, you know, vetting this information. And they have, a, uh, they have such a trust in the, the quote unquote freedom of the press that they believe uh, the facts and figures that they're being given. And yet, you know, clearly, and I think maybe you can talk to this too, uh, Dr. Cahill, uh, for example, they were fed the case fatality rate over and over again early on, which of course appeared high because they were only testing people who were hospitalized uh, and not understanding the difference between the case fatality rate and the infection fatality rate. And to this day, people think that uh, the, the mortality rate of COVID is between 2 and 3% because that was the original case fatality rate that was pushed in the media Absolutely. in May yeah. and, and April yeah. and March. And now it's, but we know that, that tens of millions of people have actually had COVID and the, the infection fatality rate is probably under 0.2%. It's crazy. It's crazy. So I suppose you just about the um, media in America. So I would have looked into this. There are essentially, you know, for all the diverse media channels, there are six media corporations, mm -hmm. you know, and each of them have four or five different nominally different, uh, you know, outlets that look to the people in America as if they're competing. But 90% of the advertising for all of the media uh, on those networks uh, are from the pharmaceutical industry. There are four in Canada, including our public broadcaster. But if I can say, Doug, you know, part of the problem here is... Uh, instinctively human, you know, not that I want to digress too much, but mm. human beings, we're an alpha mammal. So we tend to structure our society historically to a pyramid shape where those at the top will rule and those at the bottom will follow. When the Romans invented the rule of law, they tried to save them ourselves from ourselves by trying to flatten that. And I wrote an article where I once described the trajectory of the rule of law throughout history, starting with uh, the Romans, as a, from a legal perspective, as a blood-soaked roller coaster ride. So uh, we have our peaks, and then we have our lows. And the rule of law is that attempt to 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 to, to flatten that beast in us. And all our constitutional rights in the Western in Western civilization were all as a result of rebellion, revolution, civil war and world wars that gave us all the UN uh, uh, charters, okay? So starting in, in, in our heritage at any rate, 1215 in the Magna Carta, 1688 in the Bill of Rights and the uh, bloody English Civil War, 
Then we had 1776 uh, 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 and the American Revolution, the, mm-hmm. the French Revolution and the Declaration of the Rights of Man. Then we had the two world wars and we ended up with the UN charters. So our attempt to save ourselves from our basic debased instinctive nature is only been with the attempt of the rule of law. Now, you take a situation where you tell people you are going to die from an invisible, unknown hazard. Most people do not have the wherewithal to parse the science, parse the medicine, parse the laws. They're afraid. That's when governments have their best opportunity to lead everyone literally by a bow-wow muzzle over their face to do Mm -hmm. what they're told. I try to explain to people, how else do you explain that the German and Italian fascist regimes could convince their people to exterminate uh, four different tribes based on what? They They put those tribes as the reason why Germans and Italians were starving and having a difficult time. How else do you explain that? So if you tell people that it's their very life that's at stake, the the, the instinct to survive is the most powerful instinct we have, you're going to get this again. People will blindly follow. Now, there may be a kind of, those of us who can think outside the box, who have the fortune and privilege to have been educated or even have a strong will uh, and think outside of that and resist that. But most people will do what they're told for their, their own sake and their family's yeah. sake. Now, here's the problem. With, I think it's turning around since we filed a statement of claim. Certainly, we've seen a huge turnaround and backlash. But we also, we also face the human, the human attribute that Mark Twain said better than anybody uh, as a writer when he said that it's much easier, easier to fool a person, then convince that person they've been fooled. Right. So this <laughs> yeah. is our battle now. The yeah. population has been fooled. They're masked. They're doing what they're to- told for different reasons. Often they don't believe in it either. So a lot of people I notice in my experience, yeah, they'll put on the mask for two minutes to go and buy food to feed their children. They don't want to fight every time or mm-hmm. buy medicine or go get that ultrasound because they have no choice. But do they believe it? No. Nah. They did a they did a they did a survey in in Canada. Angus it was a political pollster, so everybody everybody follows those because they're very accurate. Where uh, when they in, in answer to the question, do you adhere to the COVID rules? Twenty one percent said absolutely not, and then fifty two percent said when it suits me, which really yeah. means they're not right. So that's a huge portion of the population that has a big question mark in their mind. And it's our jobs really to harness that and, and hopefully make them see the light. And, just and I think one way that to actually push back on that would be to have, you know, the way the Brexit party shot up out of nowhere when it looked like Theresa May was say was not delivering Brexit and then, right. put, you know, essentially woke up the political parties because I think all around the world, the politicians are getting it extremely easy because there's very, they are smearing people who, you know, may lose their jobs or have huge personal consequences for speaking out. And they're able to attack, you know, globally, each one person, whether it's a doctor or a nurse or a scientist or a lawyer. But I think if we were, you know, to encourage freedom parties, even in a few countries, and Mm -hmm. then coordinate like in Canada and Ireland or or Scotland is to say you know you could have online uh, artificial polling with a few million people you know if you could get half a million 
Northern Ireland to call for election, we could even have a virtual election, let's say, in the middle of November, right? Yeah. On, should we have a referendum to continue these COVID measures, you know? Right. Uh, and actually to take a good hard look and require the media and the politician to engage over a three-week period. And that potentially, if that referendum was lost, that those people would could go behind the Freedom Party because our rights of movement, assembly, you know, practicing religion, bodily integrity have been hugely undermined. So they need to be reasserted, I think. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually are, are given thrown out some of those ideas because, you know, we only really need one country to have an election to overthrow this current regime. And I right. think they could actually bring the ministers for health or the prime ministers to the International Criminal Court. And if one that has signed up to the International Criminal Court can actually bring, you know, because I know the, the Minister for Health in Poland has resigned, you know, and there is pushback. Mm-hmm. Then other countries, we're already collecting evidence, you know, because as uh, Professor Dennis Rancourt has shown, that the uh, deaths are not natural and not related to the virus, and they are related to the calling of the lockdowns, which is highly foreseeable. And on the 11th of March 2020, when the World Health Organization Director General called the so-called pandemic. In the whole world, from December to the 11th of March, 2020, there was only 4,291 people in the whole world, in over 100 countries. So that is 1% of the normal influenza death rate. So there was no need to declare a pandemic. And so therefore the countries that actually, I read that was the second line, I knew immediately there was no reason. Mm-hmm. So that they shouldn't have declared the pandemic, but the deaths were because of the pandemic, and that is essentially um, foreseeable. So we, we should, you know, that actually, they should have been officials telling them not to do that straight away. Right. And I think the- if we could put it up to the governments by getting overthrowing in one election, send some ministers to the International Criminal Court, and then a lot of other people um, would actually then have the, you know, the ministers if they were known that they were going to be held to account, because also in the last 20 years, they have manipulated, you know, the universities have been teaching things that are essentially not true in a lot of areas. Mm-hmm. And in the systems, the judges have not been actually have, carrying out judgments that uphold our fundamental rights, that we are in each country been stymied. But if we could get, a, you know, either an international tribunal along the Nuremberg model or to the International Criminal Court, that we could essentially turn this thing around and hold people to account. Yeah, the 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 other thing I I mean, uh, Dr. Hikeo hit on a certain uh, thing that I'd like to expand a little bit on in terms of the measures and the, the rights that are being trampled on. Uh, in addition, I, this has to be tackled on two planes, the national and international level, for sure, because the people calling the shots are not are not uh, draggable into any domestic or some even international bodies. At an international level, people have to exercise what is within their control and hit these global billionaire individuals and corporate oligarchs where it counts in the pocketbook. We have to withdraw our consent at them governing our lives. And that's so easy to do. And so I, I say to people, I say to people, there is one identifiable handcuff to this entire scheme that's being rolled out, and that's your smartphone. Your smartphone is making you a dumb slave. Yes. 
If yeah. you remove the cell phone, they cannot succeed in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It's the smartphone that's going to track your micro, vaccine microchip. It's the smartphone that's going to track your friends in terms of preemptive arrests when you go to protest. That happened with the George Floyd they, the police proudly announced that they used contact tracing to figure out who's, who's organizing the protests and arrested them before they could do it, on and on and on. But what people have to understand about, from a legal perspective and a human perspective, about how these lockstep measures have been working and are planned yeah. is, is that they, they are stripping everyone of what it is essential and what it means to be a human being. So they start with self-isolation. Masking was not an issue. And then from self-isolation, they went up to social distancing. When we were just at social distancing, people were still hanging out six feet apart, having conversations outside of cafes and parking lots. Then they moved it up to masking, right? Masking is a much more minute and intricate necessity to communication and association. I don't see people masked in circles six feet apart. Yeah, absolutely. Now, our right. public health doctor last week is now recommending that people have sex with masks on. And if even better, restrict themselves to masturbation. Now, think about that. So they're stripping our humanity right down to the core. You know, don't hug your grandchildren. You can't hug your spouse or anybody or friends anymore. So what does that mean, right, in terms of constitutional rights? They're one and the same thing. You Americans know very well, your framers of your constitution had it right when you they spoke about inalienable rights. And people forget what that means. The inalienable rights come from the creator, even if you believe the creator is not much larger than your mother. You were not granted rights by a state. Exactly. You were exactly. born with human attributes. You have the human attribute yeah. to think where you get the right for freedom of thought, the human attribute to speak, where you get communication, and the uh, and uh, the human attribute of associating, socializing, and then petitioning. And so each of these rights, although they're expressed as separate rights for the purpose of legal analysis, are inseparable rights, inalienable to what it means to be a human being as attributes. Absolutely. So if you can think but can't express it, your freedom of thought is useless. If you can express it but not express it to somebody else, your freedom of association is useless. If you can't, if you associate but you can't get together and petition your government, your right of association is useless. Exactly. And all these rights are tied into the life, liberty, and security of the person physically psychologically and socially what it means to be a human being and what they've done with these lockstep measures is on 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 a massive scale been stripping us of what it means to be human and that has detrimental effects now with the masking with children you know i was a i I got my undergrad in clinical linguistics most people don't realize that over seven just over 70 percent of all language is non-verbal exactly it's the facial expression Mm -hmm. that's where you get irony sarcasm smiles uh, uh, you know when people aren't happy with what you're saying they don't need to convey it so when you put a mask over a child at the tender age where they're learning and honing in their skills of communication with their uh, with others including not hugging including socialization you are raising a generation of damaged children which damage will never be reversed 
Right. Can we have a conversation then uh, along the lines of what you were talking about in terms of human freedom? Because I think, and this has been something that's been coming to my mind also thinking about solutions to what's going on, is that when we think of freedoms, we often don't think of healthcare freedom. Uh, it's not in the list. It's not in the, in the Bill of Rights in the United States Constitution. It's not something that comes to the fore, but just the individual's right to choose what kind of health care they want. Well, at least it is there in our rights. So we would have... Mm-hmm. Ne- so- a big advocate of inalienable rights mm-hmm. and actually I asserted my inalienable rights when I was coming back from Edinburgh I was flying in uh, to Dublin and I did not complete the uh, patient locator form for COVID-19 um, and I asserted my inalienable rights and had a dis- well had to wait for an hour and then three you know airport police came and we had a conversation for about an hour and a half where I uh, evoked my inalienable rights of freedom of assembly uh, and freedom of speech to attend a meeting and also privacy. And, you know, we also have constitutional rights for all of those and the primacy of the family. And we have enumerated and unenumerated rights that recognize mm-hmm. our inalienable rights because we're human or from God. But actually, it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. The police, two of them were masked and did not identify themselves, and one was unmasked and did, which in itself is quite um, shocking, really, you know. And also, if they are preventing you, and I would have had this COVID 19 uh, in January, February, you know, I would have had it, so I am immune. Hmm. And I was saying to him, they are inflicting, was say, tracking Infectious Disease Act, which should was really done in the time of TB, that if someone had symptoms and they were going into the community, infecting people. Uh, But really, the only people who have the right to detain you under those is the health authorities, you know, if they think you're infectious. So someone like me could never be infectious because I've had the disease and I'm immune for life and I have no symptoms. But it was very interesting how the airport police did not actually, well, they recognized the rights in that I was saying, I'm going to go. And they said, well, you can go, but we will arrest you, you know, after immigration. Um, so that was very, they didn't really, they just dismissed all of my rights. And then right. I evoked exemption and there was no protocol. You know, so they ended up actually not arresting me because I was challenging them that obviously I would, I felt they were acting outside of my rights in the constitution. So if people do that, as I've been saying, that is malfeasance and misprision and actually misrepresentation of the law. And it would be an unlawful arrest. And um, so I know that file has gone to the DPP. I was detained and not arrested. But the reason why I was doing that is that if you do sign that form, they're quarantining you as an entirely healthy person that you may not be able to travel for within 14 days, which is outrageous. So that if I was to travel again to one of our meetings, you know, to respond to this, that then rightly when I came back a week or two later, um, that they are... So what you know, this was under privacy, but the whole thing about masks does actually as well infringe your bodily integrity, right? If they're forced, oh masks. yeah. And what I think is shocking and is going to undermine the medical profession, the scientific profession, the policy. I used to be in policy, or I am in policy, um, as well. Is that that the health professionals, if you're diagnosed with COVID nineteen, so called, without any symptoms, they're not not offering you safe and effective treatment. They are quarantining you. Right. But they're also saying they're quarantining people with no symptoms that may have recovered from the disease using tests that actually don't detect whether the virus is there at all. So it's completely undermining our society from Mm -hmm. a scientific 
and medical basis, as well as a legal basis. And if you look into things like Agenda 21, or if you look into the entire United Nations has been undermined, as is the yeah. European Union and the politicians and the civil servants, that I actually think I would love to have a referendum in Ireland and around the world for countries to get out of the United Nations and to not fund them anymore, because this whole system is actually removing our rights. They are, you know, been draconian for something that kills. In Ireland, if you're under 65, the chance of dying is one in half a million. Mm. You have a better chance of dying from being struck by lightning. Right. It's shocking. And we do, what I'm disappointed with is, is that we haven't successfully stopped it up to now. And I think I admire Rico enormously because I think what he's doing is probably a world leader in Canada. Well, you know what? I, I, I'm astounded at the fact that the UN agencies like the WHO are even allowed to take private corporate billionaire oligarch donations. I mean, imagine, imagine if your government, your, your sitting government in, the, in, the, in, in parliament were allowed to take donations as a government. We'd be shocked and outraged. Why is a UN agency allowed to take billions of dollars from these oligarchs who are not accountable right. to anyone? And I agree the UN should be disbanded for that reason. It's become the vehicle for these oligarchs who bypass national constitutions and national sovereignty. And, you know, they're dumping $100 million to this major city, half a billion dollars to that. They're funding these uh, laboratory and think tanks, even think tanks, even though they're mediocre. And it's bought science. It's bought junk science. And just a little plug in, uh, Dr. Cahill, the viewers may not know that the, uh, Dr. Denny Rancourt, who you mentioned, is one of our plaintiffs mm. in our lawsuit. Ah, excellent. He was so outraged by this. He's, he's, he's a plaintiff in our lawsuit for this reason. And, you know, these organizations have been hijacked. They're funded, directed and controlled by these same group of criminals. They're criminals. But I also think, you know, that, you know, we have inalienable rights, okay, which I, and from our ancient laws, our natural laws and Brehan law, we would know in our legal ancient tradition, uh, pre-written almost tradition, that we have inalienable rights. And I actually think the United Nations has successfully, and the European Union, has insidiously and successfully uh, taught two or three generations that our rights come from the United Nations Charter. and. Right. EU uh, Court of Human Rights. And I think when you look back at what's going on now, it is, has been a 70-year process yeah, of and a 100-year process of interfering with the medical system. Yeah. And I think you have to use the COVID-19 thing. I see, you know, I think it's in Chinese that uh, every, uh, the Chinese word for, as well for crisis is opportunity that of I course. think we should be doing. You know what I'm saying about elections? Maybe we should have a referendum in each nation, we'll say two weeks after November, for whether we want to continue with the COVID-19 restrictions, yes or no. And at the same time, we could call an online election in the middle of November for do countries want to get out of the United Nations, full stop, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, and anyway, we should make it nations. make it international. You're quite right. Well, I no, mean, just get one country, just get out, right? There are 200 okay, yeah. countries... And I know, I mean, it would see, it would open the debate. But these guys only are, are unelected, unaccountable, and they're siphoning off taxes, you know, and the European Union is actually an arm of this globalist agenda. And, you know, see, I want to bring back accountability and the rule of law. And you can really only do that through the democratic 
accountable process. So the idea of like having freedom from big blocks that are unaccountable, like the EU and the UN for the Freedom Party, is so that when we elect ministers, you can hold them to account, hold them to the law and potentially have a recall system. Because what's been going on in Ireland and around the world is entirely illegal, unethical. They are not providing health information. So people are being sick and dying unnecessarily. And they are implementing measures like masks on children that will not die from this, do not infect anybody and will psychologically damage them for a generation. It's just shocking. And I think, you know, if we were to elect them, and like you're saying, I did say in my Trafalgar Square speech, that we should start by turning off our smartphones in protest. Right. On that's right. That's right. And you know, I'm look. I'm my 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 father was interned under Mussolini for five, just over five years. Mm-hmm. He was a proud anarchist. And my mother tells me the story of when he he was subjugated to a second court martial, and she had to go to Rome. And they said, you know, if you don't comply, we're well, we're going to order you executed. And he said, well, if that's the best you cowards can do. You can kill me once, but you can't threaten me twice. And my, 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 whole, my whole spiel at this time, too, is that people who feel and who want to convince others have to start to take action within their own control. And that if, if that means to withdraw their consent to be manipulated and governed by these people to the extent possible, you know, it's not a perfect world, there's certain things you're still caught, then withdraw your consent and convey the message that you're withdrawing your consent. And that course will keep rising. And I don't wear masks and stuff, but of course it was shocking when I was flying to Edinburgh, we say in Dublin airport and Edinburgh and back, I'd say, you know, I was maybe three people in Dublin airport out of maybe a few hundred people on both trips were not wearing masks, you know, it's shocking. But I do think that, you know, even if it's only uh, like G. Edward Griffin says, you only need 3% to change society. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a huge opportunity. Did we lose her? Yeah, she's frozen. Yeah. We've lost her, yeah. So I have been, I am developing a a kind of a, I think the people who's yeah, let's give her let's give it a few minutes for that stream to come back. But one of the things that I wanted to mention about the uh, the classical liberal tradition or this idea of inalienable rights that we're talking about, and I want to include in the conversation and get a little bit deeper into the idea of healthcare freedom because I've been thinking. I mean, the healthcare freedom being the right to choose the kind of healthcare that you want. Because one of the things that's been happening uh, here in the United States is everything is getting hyper politicized. So that if you want to take hydroxychloroquine for example, or one of the steroids or intravenous vitamin C or um, any of the plethora of, of, uh, uh, of possible um, cures or you know, um, um, things that can help you out if you have COVID that are not being promoted by the mainstream and are in fact being made illegal in a lot of cases, um, we really need to have encoded in law uh, this uh, this ability to make choices for ourselves about the kind of healthcare that we want, and that it's a personal choice between your doctor and yourself. Um, right. Because so, I think- can I splice that legal coin for you? Or can sure. I? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's clear. I don't know about the states, but in Canada, for instance, uh, I, I, you know, stemming from the Nuremberg Code and the mm-hmm. Helsinki Accord, all of that, it, our our our. Our, our courts have said you have a constitutional right 
to refuse any medical treatment without informed consent. And the famous case that went up on that issue was when they tried to give uh, psychiatric patients mind-altering drugs contrary to their wishes. And our court said, we don't care if they're mentally incapacitated and they have uh, psychotic episodes. If they don't want the drugs, you can't give it to them, period. The other side of the coin is, a, and we're going to test this in the, in, in the time that follows in, the, in, in this year, is that the other side of the coin is a bigger hurdle for the courts. That is to say that we want to choose to choose the type the type of treatment we get medically. That's While right. I agree with you, that should be a constitutional right. It's not as simple as refusing treatment without consent, because then you get into uh, you get into a spectrum of uh, problematic areas, including the use of illegal drugs for treatment. That, uh, uh, but I agree with you. A person should be able to choose their type of medical treatment. All I'm saying to you is that in the courts, that's a higher hurdle to climb sure. than refusing treatment I, against your consent. I, I understand that, but you see how healthcare, this is exactly the, the loophole that the corporations are using to say, oh, you mm-hmm. have to use our stuff because you can't choose to use that cancer therapy or the hydroxychloroquine for COVID or any of the myriad of other therapies that are out there that aren't profitable enough for the corporate system. And they just, so you know, sure, you have the right to inform consent in terms of, you know, you can potentially reject the vaccine uh, if they want to try to impose something on you. But healthcare is not able to move forward. I mean, why is this hydroxychloroquine thing an issue? Why can't I just choose to take it? Why are we having a political conversation about it? And I think it's because you're saying it legally, they've managed to make it this high bar, but it's actually a loophole that allows them to prevent uh, alternative therapies from taking hold if people want to choose to use them. I agree with you. And I tell you, I was involved. I'm sorry, Dr. Cahill, for inter- I was involved in a challenge that eventually got shut down by the courts because of standing a technical point that we might retake up. In Canada, it got so insidious that with respect to uh, natural health food products and vitamins, they changed our drug and uh, our food and drug act to say that if any if any food supplement or vitamin made any claims to health benefits whatsoever, mm. it had to undergo the pharmaceutical testing protocol. So imagine if you had a bottle of water that said, water may assist with dehydration, that water would have to go through a pharmaceutical, which is ridiculous, right? right. But during, during that whole process, in the course of the evidence, the, the you know, my clients pleaded that nobody's ever died from an overdose of a vitamin or a food supplement. And they came back and said, no, Canada, we have 307 reported autopsy where too much vitamin C caused the death. Well, of course, on cross-examination and closer, closer scrutiny, when we asked them, well, why do you have vitamin C as a cause of death? Well, they're higher than usual levels of vitamin C in the body. And I said, well, in all 307 cases, do you think the crack cocaine and the heroin overdose had more to do with the death than the vitamin C? And so we asked, I'd asked the doctor, I said, did you find human blood in their veins? And they said, of course. I said, so was human blood a cause of death too? And of course, the judge sided with us. He said, this is ridiculous. And it's very, the same parallel nonsense you got with dying with COVID, mm-hmm. right? 
mm-hmm. is that you so can I be hit by a truck. Exactly. Exactly. So that comes back a little bit again to freedom of expression and academic mm-hmm. So there's been an insidious process because the European Union has done that as well. So, for example, like I suffered from sepsis, severe acute and was hospitalized from 2005 to 2014, untreatable, you know, sepsis, where they said there's, you know, 30 percent chance all those years I wouldn't live um, and, you know, was antibiotic resistant. But what I only found out after I had, you know, surgery that was quite dangerous uh, that if I had got high dose vitamin C, which I would never mentioned in all those years and has been known for decades, I needn't have suffered from that. So this is part of as well, the teaching is they're not teaching properly that you have an immune system. So there right. are these two schools of thought, thought, right? That, you know, you are attacked by viruses and bacteria and you don't have anything in your body that can help you except antibiotics and viruses. That is right. one school of thought. But the other school of thought is, um, which has been known for centuries, that if you eat well and your food has good nutrients and you have a proper vitamin and nutrient balance, mm-hmm. that actually you can boost your immune system and you will be healthy uh, and that your immune system will recognize that virus or bacteria for the rest of your life uh, and be boosted by circulating chicken pox or mumps or measles, which is actually a beautiful way that the earth had done so that the elderly, you know, would actually be boosted by their grandchildren you would have cycles every two or three years of infectious diseases. Mm. When you have the uh, Belchamp, their view of the world, that's this uh, only antibiotics and vaccines, they don't really teach properly the immune system in the universities or to doctors, but then they also want to clamp down on that you can actually be healthy by good nutrients, either in the food or, you know, which is less efficient as supplementation so you can see globally in about, you know, around the same time, they are clamping down on vitamins and nutrients. And I think yeah. that's because of the awareness and social media and that people are pushing back because in Ireland, I think half of our children have a chronic disease when 20 years ago they didn't have. Yeah. And we have among the sickest children globally, at least well in the Anglosphere and in some countries, um, and we're spending more money on health than we ever did before. So it's actually making people sick. So a lot of people are pushing back on that. Yeah, the pharmaceutical lobby to get the changes made was after polls in North America showed that 68% of North Americans were looking to naturopathy and homeopathy as a first line of defense before they went to pharmaceutical drugs. And now, you know, one of the things that makes me laugh, not in a comical way, just in an ironic way, is that in Canada, just under 60,000 people in the States, just over a million people a year die from the side effects of pharmaceutical drugs. If you want to use pharmaceutical drugs, God bless you. But that that makes COVID look like a, a sneeze. Yeah. It's it's the third largest year, cause of death in the United States. People in North America. Yeah, three hundred and fifty thousand yeah. a year. I think that's a low number. Die in the United States from overdose exactly. on pharmaceutical drugs that are properly prescribed, not even right. malpractice or you right. know. Just and it turns out for people, it's one in ten. It's one in ten people in the OECD top countries. So in every family, right. and it is underreported, right? Because mm-hmm. of legal and suing consequences and under. 55 that and suicide are among the highest causes of death but a lot of them are around sepsis you know and antibiotic use and in america they feed antibiotics to cattle which is outrageous which actually increases them you know and the water antibiotic resistant um, and also glyphosate doesn't help mm-hmm. actually doing things over 20 years that makes no sense to make people prone to being ill 
and dying with sepsis and then not treating it properly, including with vitamins. So there's a, actually a kind of a, a chronic death cycle and a chronic illness cycle. And so what we need is really the real free market that if people, you know, because in Ireland, I think we pay about 5,000 per family in taxes. I think it's about 20,000. If you were able to have a free market system to say, you know, maybe you wouldn't get this from the state, but you could use that money on prevention, on healthy food, you know, and obviously to have some support system. But actually, I've been discussing as an idea with a number of countries that we need a new regulatory system where the patient would then say to the doctor in a notice of liability, doctor, you have to give me the best outcome or at least inform me. So if the best outcome is not antibiotics, it's vitamins. Or if, you know, I've been saying to people in Ireland and around the world, they need to be writing letters to their doctors because in Ireland they prescribe hydroxychloroquine for lupus and arthritis. It's an essential medicine in the world, been approved for 70 years. It's seen as one of the best treatments for a coronavirus and potentially for influenzas and also whether they're mutated or not, uh, that they need to ask the doctor, are you going to prescribe hydroxychloroquine? And if your doctor isn't, I think that's a breach of the contract. And then right. people then have used the market and say, wait a minute, I don't need to engage in this. And maybe we pay less tax, you know, and people who are very sick. But if people want to spend money to be healthy, uh, that they should be free to actually do that. Well, I, I, I don't understand. I mean, there's two professions that I'm absolutely disgusted at during this whole thing. One is the legal profession and one is the medical profession. I can't imagine anybody reading even a recipe version of the Hippocratic Oath and the Nuremberg Code and the Helsinki Protocol and saying that they're actually practicing medicine. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are just they are simply bowing to the Church of Medicine at the WHO and they're breaching not only you're quite right, they're breaching their oath as medical practitioners, the colleges who uh, lay down the law, I don't understand how a corporation gets to uh, prescribe a one remedy fits all for every patient in the world. And you're right, it's a breach of contract and it's a breach of fiduciary duty by the, on, on the part of the physicians. Yeah. If it's legal, and, and even beyond that, it's even more outrageous that they're barring the use of approved drugs right. or approved remedies. Yeah, it's because the American Association of Pharmacists and Surgeons, actually, I think it was in the 6th of June, are taking the FDA to court for stopping the prescription, allowing them to, by threat of been, uh, removing their license, because the FDA is only responsible for interstate trade in America, and they have actually no authority to interfere with the patient-doctor uh, relationship. But the fact is that they did, so they need to be sued for that. But also there's another breach is with the teachers, right? And the teachers' unions, right. psychologists, psychiatrists, that children in the whole world, there is no child, as far as I understand, that actually a healthy child that has died from COVID and they don't transmit it to the teachers or to adults. So it is shocking that having not, you know, the World Health Organization did not have masks during when COVID was circulating. And then they more or less said in July, it was under political pressure to put, put masks and what you can really see the globalist agenda is that the unions worldwide, the teachers have not pushed back and said, these children do not need to be wearing masks. We are no danger from these things. And it's going to undermine, especially teenagers, you know, for them, that's a tricky time when they really need to, you know, interact and socialize with each other. And it is just outrageous. So I think 
exactly what I've been saying is we have power through our vote, through what banks we use, what insurances we use. We should turn up um, Mm -hmm. our, our smartphones and we actually need to start branding. So I've been developing this brand called Custodian, but we also need to have a brand which actually says, are they pro free speech, right? Uh, and we should be having new parties and we should be, I also think that all these medical professions and teachers, they really have, um, you know, absented on their bond with their teaching and their profession. And really, you know, after a certain date, perhaps they should not be entitled to their pensions if they're actually implementing things with their students that are going to cause harm. And if the doctors are not providing treatments to their patients, that's going to prevent illness and suffering. I just well, don't you know, carry on. Dr. Cahill, I'm, I, I don't consider myself a pessimist or a cynic. I'm just, I, I, I like to think of myself as an optimist with too much experience, you know. But <laughs> I want to get a bit cynical. I want to get a bit cynical here with unions, okay. teachers' unions, judges, crown attorneys. If they weren't paid during the COVID, right? These teachers yeah. were not in class for four months. They're getting their pensions and their salaries deposited by automatic deposit, if teachers, judges, and civil servants were not paid like the rest of us for not working during this time, we'd right. have a different dynamic. Right. You talk about the biggest buyout and bribery, institutional bribery during this whole COVID thing. It's 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 because they've been bought off. You know, the teachers don't want to make this work going back to school. I predict that it's going to shut down because yeah. uh, at the sign of the first kid sneezing in the fall, big deal, everybody's going to be sent home. Yeah. You know, that's going to happen a lot and they'll still be paid. Right. And that's where we're going to file class action. And I suppose. Yeah, exactly. And what's unfortunate a little bit, if you look into deeper into, you know, Agenda 21 and the whatever, 50 pages published, you know, 1992. And since then, if you look behind it, it actually and the same with the banking and negative interest rates and quantitative easing. And a lot of countries have changed their planning laws so that and their banks are not, and the insurance companies are all not supporting rural communities and rural businesses. And that a lot of the, you know, measures brought around worldwide were to support multinational business, but not local mom and pop business. So what you have to be aware of is a lot of the measures are actually to undermine society and initiatives. And actually the idea is to make people more dependent on the state and to have less incentive and to give people huge welfare in the short term but then there's going to be quantitative easing bank collapses Mm -hmm. potential engineered uh you know internet shortages uh, food shortages you know like thailand in a way rightly said they're not going to give their rice to the global market because they know Mm -hmm. food shortages are coming so when we say the unions and the teachers the whole agenda is almost to deconstruct society so we have to figure out a way to not go down that agenda either. We need to say, like, I think I agree with you, the education system is undermining these students for a year or two and social distancing and they're making it tricky. So we need to actually start the free market economy to entrepreneurially have a, a online education system that's of a much higher standard. You know that even if you're 16, you can go on and do law and that we then say that the funding that we give in taxes goes to the best education system. And if that means that the current uh, school system and university system gets less money, uh, that would in a way force change. You know what I mean? 
sure. Yeah, I, I'd like to, to see that happen. There could be a lot. There could be a homeschooling revolution that takes place because parents are yeah. having to do it anyway. So why not find the the better options? You know, besides the yeah. State so that University. the schools should then reduce their money. Well, it looks like Dolores is uh, frozen up again. She'll, I think she'll probably come Money back. In the university. So, you know, like Ron Paul and Tom Woods and, and ICANN mm -hmm. Academy. So that we just, anyway, you know what I mean? That we have to say the money follows the students. And the oh, same right. thing with healthcare, blocking vitamins, is the money well, should follow what people want. And that is the, I was going to call it the smiling revolution, you know, right. or the yeah. emerald revolution, you know, that we need to actually say, okay, we know now the game is up. They have definitely had the winning cards for 2020, but all yeah. of us are not going to go away. You know, like your mm -hmm. dad, they yeah. might detain us, they might threaten us, they might bankrupt us, but we still have our minds. And what I'm saying, you know, the hyperinflation that's going to happen, be it money will be worth nothing. People right. should be stockpiling food and their skills, getting to know their neighbors and planting food, you know, and preparing. Well, but then have innovation as well. So there's a huge dawn in innovation, I think. And I would pay much more for a free speech insurance banking. You know, I'm supporting BitChute. You know that we need to be clever. The, uh, the you know, uh, Dr. Cahill, what I, what I often, what, what I often say to people when I, I'm talking about this whole thing is, you know, most people don't have the wherewithal to parse the science, the medicine, or the law, but to use their common sense. The fact that this has been an open and blatant agenda to obliterate the independent business person and operator is clear from the fact that while every ma and pa independent shop had to close, uh, you know, hardware store, clothing store, yeah. uh, 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 shoe store, salons. hair salons, everything, mm -hmm. the Walmarts and Costcos of the world because they were selling food and medicine in one corner, got to sell everything under the sun to the point that the big oligarchs, they've doubled their net worth in the last five months. And does it make sense that it's easier to socially distance in a busy Walmart, in a busy mall, as opposed to a mom and pa shop that gets maybe one or two customers an hour at the most? No, if you use your common sense, you know that they're out to put small business out of business. And they've done exactly. uh, a lot and of damage. And it's happening all over the world. Yeah, because right. I'm in touch you know, with Uruguay and South America, Brazil, about 12 countries, but six of them yeah. from South America. The exact right. same thing was happening in Uruguay, which is mm -hmm. 5 million people on the other side of the world, as right. it was in Ireland. And you know, for the legal things, that's why I've been talking about malfeasance, you know, and almost actually what's going on uh, if it's happening and in multiple countries at the same time, like instead of getting proper treatment, the patients were getting morphine and no oxygen and allowed to die, like Professor Denny Rancourt has said, that right. that means that it's actually uh, the same scenario in the same weeks is happening all over the world. Right. And all is not, you know, allowing for best practice. And the other thing they did, which is very sinister, is not sell seeds, you know, so that people right. couldn't free time. That's so, so we what? really see there's an agenda. And Dr. Cahill, we're closer to New York here in Ontario. Our legislature, our legislature, you know what they did last summer? They changed the uh, proceedings against the Crown Act that if you want to sue a public official for public misfeasance, you now need the leave of the court before you can file. 
and you have to get a pre-permission to file the lawsuit that can take over a year to get. And so we're going to challenge that, the constitutionality of that section. But they had that in place because they knew they're going to get sued on this. And the the province of British Columbia has immunized all public officials for any damage caused by the COVID measures. Because they know well, I've been talking about malfeasance, Rocco. You know that that if they're not treating patients, because as well, you know, we have a hundred people in Ireland now out of five million reduced down from seventeen hundred. But on the other hand, we could actually identify those in a public inquiry, and then look to the doctors and say, uh, because you know, hydroxychloroquine was known from Nobel Prize winner Michael Levitt, and since two thousand and five, it worked in China. So then you could look at the coroner. So we do have people in our network separately from me, but they're in touch with me, writing to the coroners to actually identify where COVID-19 is the cause of death. And then those doctors should be held to account in a public inquiry. What You you mean that Nobel Prize winner who was yanked down for disinformation? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who actually had real time. I mean, the thing that's outrageous, you know, he had real time in January doing the Wuhan princess he mm. that there would be no new deaths in china you know in january mm. the january in march you know the middle of the third week of march he was exactly right and then a week right. or so afterwards you have neil ferguson coming out with right. a model which was totally uh, outrageous and then within a week he brought down his things from half a million to twenty thousand, right. and the lockdown still went on so i think well, that's where we need to look at boris johnson and who you know that it's right entirely wrong and i think i heard today some one country is going to extend the lockdown measures for another year hmm. well they're talking they're talking they're talking about some places 2025 yeah and you know right? the predictions so, so of population in, reduction yeah right yeah in, I, in canada on their stats which they say now because of the false testing and the whole bit and the false uh, uh covid death uh, characterization we last uh, we had 9,250, and it's probably closer to 3,000. But even a 9,250 wow. on a population of 37 and a half million, that is one quarter of one percent of so-called deaths vis-a-vis population. More people die in bar fights exactly. <laughs> every year. Like in <laughs> Ireland, under 65, it's one and a half a million. You know, we have eight people. There's four million people under right. half, under 65. And uh, it's it's eight people, so it's one and a half a million. So it's shocking that they're tracking us and the, you know, the passenger location forms and the masks for children. And of course, hydroxychloroquine is one of the safest drugs, right? So if you have symptoms, if that was made available um, and it's not addictive, in fact, nearly every household could actually have one preemptively. Right. No one would die. So that's the issue. You and I, Rocco, all of us are here so that in this November, December, they don't do a second spike. And I right. suppose what we've heard is their plan is to contaminate hydroxychloroquine, so to make people sick. And they're already potentially in the pipeline is COVID-20, COVID-21, and potentially yeah. they're using botulism as a scare as well. So I think it's good to throw these things out, because then right. so, uh, we've heard a plan to lock down London on the 21st of September. So it's good to throw right. these things out so that if it happens, 
uh, that we know it's not related to us, you know, the actual illness, that there is a pre pre-planned, you know, component. I agree. You you can preempt it by by making it public. I yeah. agree. You know, and it gets to the most absurd levels. I I sarcastically tweeted our public health officer, Dr. Tan, and said, you know, serious question. If somebody breaks wind and they're COVID and they're positive for a virus, can I get infected? Right. And if if the answer is yes, does that mean now, in addition to the mask, I got to wear a diaper and show right. I, I'm wearing a diaper everywhere I go. And of course, you know, uh, you know, sarcasm and all. I got forwarded two actual medical studies on the topic. And the answer was one from China said, yes, you could get infected, but your nose has to be really close uh. to the person's butt. And then I said, well, I. I sort of, I'm not a doctor, but I got to challenge that conclusion because if I can smell it, the particles have reached my nostrils, right? So I hope I don't get Dr. Tam getting, giving an ordinance that we all wear diapers because, you know, Pampers would love it, you know? But of course, but, the but thing this is, is how absurd it gets. I know, but the thing is, which is tragic is the mask makes you more prone, right? You've got of course, reduced yeah. carbon dioxide it's actually wet, so you probably have all, you yeah. know, everyone has 100 million, million viruses or whatever, and it, may, it really suppresses your immune system because you're decreasing oxygen, but hugely increasing carbon dioxide to yeah. dangerous levels, maybe 8,000 parts per million. So you, you potentially as well will get meningitis because well, the viruses in your microbiome uh, can get breathed into your uh, brain. So, and also, you know, two Chinese children died with masks and two 14-year-olds in Germany died with masks, healthy children. Probably globally already, there are more children who have died from wearing masks and they will get... Uh, from well, we're getting a lot of reports. We're getting a lot of reports of people doing long shifts who are being hospitalized from pleurisy because of their mask wearing hmm. as well, a lung disorder. And uh, also their uh, teeth infection. rotten. Yes, yeah, you know, right. we only know about the illness in the November, December. Right. And that's what I was calling out about the um, hydroxychloroquine, because I, you know, if there's this huge issue with viral interference, which I can't communicate very well, it's not resonating, that right. if you have corona contaminated in influenza vaccines, and some of the influenza vaccines now are made on dog tissue, they have coronavirus. You're essentially immunizing people through injection, which is not nat natural, right. with coronaviruses from down kidney. If there's a natural or there's another coronavirus circulating, potentially one in three people can be sick. And that's a huge right. number. And right. so they're trying to mandate now in Ireland to give uh, from four to 13-year-olds influenza nasal spray. There is no real clarity on whether there will be coronavirus in it. And that mm. could make them very sick. And if it's RNA, there's never been uh, anyone that has been released with safety studies because of the illness in the animal models. And also right. potentially they could be genetically modified organisms because the RNA can integrate. So it's absolutely, and I think everyone probably knows the masks are there to then say to parents, if you just get this nasal spray, mm. uh, we put the masks away and you can travel and potentially will make or the va the virus the vaccine will will make people quite ill and then it's irreversible
and that's yeah, and it's, it, it's part of it's part of the, it's part of that lockstep uh, of new normal everywhere you turn and we have a we have a f- famous singer in Canada Bruce Coburn who had a song that said you know the, the problem with normal is it keeps getting worse and this is what's happening with with mm. with the covid you know me I'm going to insist on my medical treatment Dr. Kale and mine is a nice brand uh, it's called Writer's Tears. It's an Irish whiskey that I drink religiously <laughs> that I take for all my co- colds and flus. And that's my medical treatment to, to most colds and flus and any airborne virus. And it's worked for me. Let's <laughs> let's talk a little bit about who yeah. is, is and rest, perpetrating it. And good foods. Right. Yeah, that's right. A, a healthy immune system, which they don't talk about at all. In fact, I was going to bring up that... Uh, in the mainstream media, I mean, if I talk to the average person here in the United States and I say, well, why don't you boost your immune system? And they, oh, they go, it's a novel coronavirus, so my immune system can't help. Uh, and we all we can do is wait for the vaccine. And that's the way, I mean, that's like the, the subconscious programming that seems to get into everybody's mind from the mainstream media. And I wanted to add to yeah. your list, you talked about the, the legal and the medical professions, but I think the journalists... God, I just can't believe how much, you know, crap they keep pumping out at everybody. I've come to the conclusion that it's, you know, we let you talked about that pyramid and it's the only way that, and, and I, I'd like to get into this um, with the time that we have left, like who is perpetrating this? Because it's so hard for people to wrap their minds around how, say, a small group of people could have so much power over you know, all these institutions over all the, the articles that they're reading in the newspapers. And, you know, so let's get into that to try to help people to, to be able to understand uh, just how the wealthy can uh, impose their, their will on the bulk of society in this way. But um, I'm coming to the conclusions when you talked about that pyramid, Rocco, that our society is so, especially in the corporate world, so top down that a lot of these people are just following orders. I mean, this is the old... That's exactly what's happening. Just following orders. The media in Canada, for instance, and I'm sure it's no different as Dr. Cahill uh, mentioned earlier. In Canada, we have four major media conglomerates. One is the public broadcaster, and whatever the government says, they'll do, because it's 100% funded by them. We have three other major broadcasters. Our prime minister was smart when he came into office. So our public broadcaster, they used to receive $2 billion a year. Now they get $1.1 billion because they can also sell advertising. The other three major broadcasters and publishers got half a billion dollars each a year under cultural grants. Mm-hmm. So they basically just bought the media. You only have to buy four directing minds. That's not a lot of people. And that's how they control their journalists. And their journalists, I've spoken to journalists, right? I've spoken to journalists. And, you know, I uh, I do nothing but high-profile cases. When I call a press conference, I have problems in my office hosting all the journalists. When I call the press conference on this COVID challenge, not one came, not one mainstream journalist came. Right. Two weeks later, a CBC reporter called me and said, I'd like to do a piece. But it was from the French CBC. And I said, and he knew me 20 years ago from my other seminal cases. And I said, well, where were you two weeks ago? He said, well, our editor ordered us not to come to the press conference. Right. And I said, why? And he said, oh, they're just a bunch of anti-vectors, right? Well, every single mainstream media was absent here. 
Yeah. Well, that doesn't happen by coincidence. Right. Well, I don't know. Four I, people were ordered by the federal government to have your people stay away from Rocco's case. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. Very simple. It doesn't take a lot. We can bring up the the recent uh, article from the Columbia Journalism Review that talked about the amount of money that Bill Gates, just one person, right. and, and let's connect that with his, like you were talking about, the fact that this one person is also donating the second largest donor to the World Health Organization. How weird is that? Uh, but all the money, the millions of dollars that he spent uh, on a variety of different media sources, and now they're all parroting everything coming out of the Gates Foundation. So it's, I mean, just talking about Bill Gates alone uh the connections i mean he basically created this pandemic with his own billions i mean you know with help from a few other billionaires but we can well, see sure. how but it's not a di- it's not a difficult pyramid to negotiate when you have 12 or 15 friends individuals and corporate uh, corporations that control all aspects of society mm-hmm. i i equate this you know when i used to be really cynical and i was talking about american foreign policy this is the same thing here i often tell the joke about bob and bill who meet in mainstream main street usa and bob says to bill uh bill i'm so sorry to hear about that fire at your house last thursday and bill says shut the f off bob it's next thursday yeah (laughs) okay this is all planned it's planned and it's executed you know, and it's easy. I mean, look, people accuse my clients or me of being a conspiracy theorist. What people have to know is that the notion or uh, idea of conspiracy theory was developed by the CIA and handed over to the media in the States to deflect uh, questions about the murder of uh, John F. Kennedy and to undermine Martin Luther Mm -hmm. King's uh, civil rights movement. What a conspiracy theory is, is a tool of propaganda to uh, to dismiss, refute, and uh, diminish uh, the existence of conspiracies. And so what a conspiracy is in, in our law, whether it be Europe here or the States, yeah. is, is an agreement people. by two or more people to affect a certain end. If that end is criminal... It's a criminal offense, indictable offense here. It's a felony in your in the states, uh, punishable by 14 years plus. If it's not criminal, but the agreement harms somebody in terms of their rights or economic interests, it's a civil tort like negligence that you can sue for. So when people say to me, you're a conspiracy theorist, I say, no, 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 I'm a conspiracy analyst. I'm right. quite good at it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So, and I think that's very interesting. You know, that when we have, like, they're talking with Scotland and Uruguay and Peru and Paraguay and Italy and Spain, you know, in the network, that we can see, because the pharmacists were able to say in the same week in different continents, and we were in touch with Australia, New Zealand, Canada, America, in the same week or two, more or less, in March, the pharmacists were raising concerns because the doctors were buying lethal doses of morphine at the same time for the care home where the farmers are concerned and reporting it, and those reports are in the systems, and they were not, we say, getting oxygen and not getting inhaled steroids or vitamin D or nutrients or whatever, and that excessive numbers of people were dying in an unnatural way, as Professor Rancourt was able to idealize. So you know when you say conspiracy analysis, that actually if you have the exact same thing happening, you know, in multiple countries, that's why we need the international tribunal because we right. can only 
identify those patterns. And that is indeed why then those doctors and the ministers for health and the ministers and the civil service need to be held to account in an international tribunal mm -hmm. so that assess those kind of patterns which have conspired to not provide health that would have kept those people well. And actually, they've done similar things by uh, morphine all over the world. Mm. And, uh, you know, and also a lot of those patients had very cruel deaths, you know, with oxygen deprivation. Uh, so right. multiple components to it. But indeed, around the world, in multiple countries, in the same weeks, the same methods were used. But what's worrying right. is that if there is a certain component about this, they knew that we were going to come across this evidence and they right. knew that we were going to be doing what we were doing. So are they just going to sit back and let us do these actions? That's what I'm concerned about now. This, you know, they would have foreseen what's going on now. But, but you know, there's a, there, there's a bizarre, bizarre dynamic human behavior. You know, people, I ask myself, why did the Nazis keep such meticulous records? Why did the Inquisition? Right. <laughs> I, you know, I have transcripts of the Inquisition in Portugal and in Italy and Spain, transcripts of the inquisitorial proceedings that read like a modern trial. They read out the indictment of heresy and you say, why would they keep a record of it? Because these main maniacal criminals at some reptilian point of their brain. They want to be found out. Doing the right thing. They want to be found out. Yeah. And they think they got they're God proud of what they're right doing. To do this. Mm -hmm. You know? And they think they're on the right side. You know, it's pretty twisted, but you know, why else would they keep records? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think that when you take a deep dive into the psychology of control, you know, these controlling personalities always think they're, they have to be the ones in control, you know, because if, the, if, if they weren't in control, it would just be chaos. And I mean, this is the same with any kind of narcissistic personality disorder. This is, I've, I've kind of learned to develop a, almost the psychological interpretation of what's going on, just trying to figure out, you know, what's happening politically. And then you realize, well, these, the small group of people with these certain, uh, psychological symptoms have just taken control. It's it's a controlling personality disorder, essentially, and they always justify themselves, and they do always seem to um, almost want to let us know what they're doing, and they definitely, like you're talking about, the keeping of the records is very interesting, um, but I think they believe that what they're doing is ultimately for the good of, of the people, like they're the shepherds and we're the sheep, and they're taking care of us in a way. The, the population control agenda is, is so so much a part of that where they're just, oh, somebody has to make those hard decisions and they're just the ones that are doing it and they can't conceive that uh, that what they're doing is actually... I don't know if I go that far, Doug, I think I, a lot of these people lack any scintilla of care for humanity. Right. Inhumane in the sense they don't care how many people have to die for their goals and their ends. You know, I'm not a very religious person, but in this time, I... Uh, my mother passed away about six years ago. She was 95, and she always said, you know, it's a cliche. It's not restricted to where we come from. But she always said, if you want to make God laugh, just make a big plan. Yeah, <laughs> I think exactly. that's what ultimately <laughs> is going to defeat this maniacal global agenda, you know? It's just going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. Like, have you ever tried to get your family and your kids to do what you want? 
Right. You know, <laughs> this is on a global scale. You, for a while, you can put your foot down. But, you know, I see positive signs, Doug, and people. I mean, these protests, even though they're not being covered by the North American media, I'm getting these feeds from Ireland and Argentina. You'd think they, they won the World Cup again. They're the shots from Buenos Aires, right? Mm-hmm. We're not yeah, getting sorry. them here in the mainstream media, but they're happening. Right. Montreal had, you know. At Montreal, we had a clo- they had close to 100,000 people. There's another rally this Saturday coming up. They're yeah. happening, and people are saying, so, you know. Yeah. So we have a rally in uh, Dublin again on the 12th, and then right. we're organizing a rally in Trafalgar Square as well on the 19th of September. Right. There's also these networks, uh, Rico, that I mentioned that we'd like to have you speak at, but they're organizing, I think, in 10 or 12 countries. Uh, right. It's Medical mm-hmm. and legal uh, people consort in ten or twelve countries on the nineteenth of September, uh, and then there's another one in London on the twenty sixth. So really, we need to um, have as many rallies as possible. But I do think we need to get a kind of a a focus on it. Either it is you know innovation that we have different phones that right. don't have tracking, right. uh, or we we're going to have elections, or even if it's online referenda, you know that people yeah. out there are innovative like websites like Track My Vote that we just right. you know online referenda and then almost that you could say to people if by october november we have systems that enshrine free speech or are pushing back local coffee shops that people would move their business to uh, businesses that are trying to survive and are against this kind of agenda you know Mm -hmm. listen i think boycotts are very boycotts are a very effective tool very effective uh, uh, in terms yeah. of, but I agree with you. We have to get on these. Uh, uh, we have to get on these uh, 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 courses of action, and we have to do it in in large numbers in a lot of countries. Yeah. And we have to like get, you, be on the yeah. same page. Yeah. Yeah. So I, we had actually, you know, the rally in Trafalgar Square, the last one. I think it was the 28th, 29th of August. But we had raised the fifteen thousand in donations, and we had spent fifteen thousand. You know, to hire the sound equipment and the screen, right. but didn't allow the screen to enter but then right. on the Saturday the same day the donating um funding agency decided that they wouldn't give us the money and oh, they wow. gave money back to the people who donated it so they're you know people who organized it uh, oh, so you were you were led into a trap yeah so now I think yeah. they're fighting again a United Freedom for PayPal but of course we're trying huh. to work on the 19th of September which will be more doctor and lawyer focused but um, right. that one, the government the day before brought in another act under COVID that anyone organizing an event with more than six people, that the organizer, right. we had pre-organized, you know, weeks before for this, uh, would get a, a 10,000 fine and the organizer would get arrested. But what came right. out today in advance of the 19th of September or whatever, is that anyone organizing a rally, uh, that they can arrest people before the event. And that right. they or they can be detained for up to eight months before you get charges. Right. So Where this is in Ireland? No, this is in the UK. In the UK. Well, this. I mean, I've I've All called uh, I've called New Zealand, uh, Australia, and the UK the Fourth Reich on this. Uh, there's no question That's about it. And then I try it here. I think at the end of the yeah. day, people will have to get arrested and fight it. It's easier to fight a charge than it is to mobilize. You know, and and that's okay. just. I mean, there is no easy solution. There's no comfortable solution. No, no. I mean, solution. we're going to go ahead. Now, we're right. on the side. Oh. So, 
so what's we'll just kind of continue. I think she'll she'll kick back in here. But what's yeah. going on here in the United States? Because I'm just actually amazed. It almost seems like these Black Lives Matter protests. I don't protests. think there's any organizers. <laughs> you might you might indicate to her that she's uh, phasing in and out. Yeah, yeah, you're cutting in and out a little bit there, uh, Dr. Cahill. No problem. I guess the thing is they're trying to prevent us from assembling, right? They don't want yeah. to. That's what's going on. Yeah. We'll just have to, we have to ignore them. Yeah. We have to ignore them. <laughs> well, and I was I shocked. Think, you know, a peaceful, a peaceful, I'm sorry, Doug, I cut Let's, in on go you, ahead. but uh, a peaceful, I, I had an idea of a peaceful uh, way of protesting, whether it be a mask or bylaw officers, is to walk around with these uh, armbands with swastikas. And when you're approached by a government authority, you hand one to them and say, I'm sorry, you must have dropped this. Does this belong to you? Right. <laughs> Give it to them. As a means of, you know, you have to demoralize them for what they're doing. They're not they're not robots either. They're going to be thinking about what they're doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think what they're doing is a combination of uh, bullying and betrayal, you know? Right. I right. agree. I agree. Well, it's just amazing, like here in the United States, when they started the lockdown measures, I was just shocked that no one, no, not one voice spoke up for freedom of assembly and said, hey, wait a minute, you know, we need to have a real serious discussion about this. And I I think, you know, we already spoke a little bit about the education that's been happening over the last 30 or 40 or 50 years, even that's, that's really, um, you know, hasn't been placing these these uh, these freedoms or the idea of freedom front and center, so people don't think they're important. And there's even uh, the opposite going on, where now if you start talking about freedom of speech or freedom of assembly, you're you start to get into this, like, oh, are you one of those conspiracy theorists, Nazi, far right, you know, uh, white supremacists? I, I mean, that you really get labeled that a lot of people will instantly get triggered into thinking if you believe in freedom, you must be a white supremacist. It's a, it's wild. And I've been trying to figure out uh, why this Black Lives Matter thing has come such front and center here, because in one sense, those protests are almost preventing other protests from I mean, I, I'm trying to figure out why here in the right. United States, we're not seeing, right. you know, a, a pushback against this. And then we've got the mainstream media doing the Black Lives Matter thing so much and the misinformation campaign that's been happening, uh, coupled with uh, a lot of this long term education that, where people don't understand the importance of standing up against government tyranny. Uh, and even this, this implication that you must be somehow far right if you believe or are concerned or have these concerns, um, it's, okay, so, it's really working. I mean, people aren't standing up against this right now. Right, Doug, can, can I say how quintessentially American you are? Let me, let me, yeah. let me pipe in there for a second, <laughs> <Sure>. okay? <laughs> okay, so listen, Benito Mussolini, who articulated the theory of fascism, defined fascism as corporate governance mm -hmm. okay yeah. a board of directors lays down the law and that's it post-world war ii the left wing convinced the world especially in north america that hitler and mussolini were far right nazi fascists sorry they were just a step to the right of the the Soviet and Chinese communists, both the Nazi and Mussolini regimes were left-wing socialist regimes. They were to totalitarian, but Hitler's regime and party was the Nationalist Socialist Party of Germany. Mm -hmm. Mussolini's party was a socialist party. 
they were totalitarian. And so we have been hoodwinked into believing that all totalitarian regimes are right wing. No, sir. These two regimes in the, uh, Europe were left wing regimes. And it troubles me that the left wing in the States, or the left wing, let's call them liberal, the Democrats, this is one of the reasons why they're all into the COVID measures. They're of the same stripe. It's only the right wing, the so-called neocons, who are fighting for individual rights and liberties and adherence to the Constitution. Okay? I'm not political. As I said, I, I view all governments with distrust. But really, if we're looking at reality and the history of it, Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, they're all wow. left-wing totalitarian regimes, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. If you want to talk about Pinochet as a right-wing dictator, yes. If we want to mm -hmm. talk about the Latin American dictatorships as right-wing, some are right-wing, some are left-wing. But I don't care if you shoot left-wing or right-wing. If you're a fascist, you're a fascist. Right. But they've done an incredible propaganda on, you know, on saying that, that uh, you know, Hitler and Mussolini are right-wing fascists. Nah, they were left-wing fascists. Yeah, it's interesting. Deal with that Democrat Party of the USA. <laughs> right. Well, well and, I, and I would say, I would disagree only that the, the term neocon. Uh, I think the neocons work a lot, uh, a lot of times with this, uh, also this part of the left-wing and the Democratic Party. They're working together to bring in yeah, this technocratic the totalitarian aspect i agree with you mm -hmm. i agree with you you see the other you know the other the other the other propaganda piece that uh, goes on and i t try to lecture uh, my law students when i'm talking to them is that we have been hoodwinked into equating a peaceful country with a democratic one and a violent country with an oppressive one. Before 9-11, the United States of America was the most vibrant democracy on the face of the earth, yet the most pathologically violent of the face on the face of the right. earth. Places like Canada are quiet dictatorships. We're very peaceful, but yeah. we have less freedoms than you guys have. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you don't equate peace with democracy and violence with totalitarianism. They're not, they're not the same thing, you know? And so you can have a lot of peaceful totalitarian states mm -hmm. and a lot of European countries are proving to be that, Australia, well, New Zealand. And, and I think what we need to do to learn from this is to look at the education systems. And that's why I think we need to get children, you know, the, this generation out of these uh, state schools, because in a way what we have is um, kind of globalism versus localism, right? I think the old... Right left and right is actually, I call them rabbit holes, you know, so you can right. actually spend exactly. a lot of time going down uh, Agenda 21 or glyphosate or cancer treatment. You know, there's a whole lot. Sure. Really, they're they're passe distractions is what they are. They're passe and distractions. Yeah, exactly. mm -hmm. What rules now are not heads of state. It's the exactly. globalized oligarchs. Right. Yeah. And right. what That's we need to do, the world. I think, is to bring it back to local and democracy. Right. Yeah. Try to bring back fundamental rights. And also what I do think then is these schools, you know, that we've been failed by the um, systematically and insidiously by the education system for 40 years. So John mm -hmm. Taylor would be a great hero of mine and obviously mm -hmm. Jordan as well from Toronto. I, I, spoke, I spoke with him once, John Taylor Gatto. I had an interview oh, with he's him. Amazing. Excellent. Yeah, excellent person. But I think, you know, the, the online school, you know, where we take the kids out of school, they do maybe three at home and then projects in the afternoon and mm -hmm. i'm saying those projects could be 
looking at, you know, life expectancy under totalitarian regime. Right. <laughs> you know, innovation. Well, Was hydroxychloroquine good? You know, the use of vitamins. So get these guys. And also that, you know, from 12 years old, they should be encouraged to be innovative. And I think people who do professional jobs should be carpenters as well, or taught to be bakers, you know, or everyone should be taught to farm mm-hmm. and try to build their own house, like on a two and a half acre project, you know, to be free of and listen Dolores, you're, you're parroting me. I was I had, yeah. I was blessed in grade eight. I was clinically diagnosed as mentally retarded. So I got I got <laughs> abandoned by the school system. I went to trade school. I made all my money uh, uh, renovating houses while I practiced law, okay? And I tell people that in my school system, uh, people would learn to read and write when they're 15 or 16, but they would spend the first 16 years of their life learning how to build a house, grow their own food and everything. When I tell people I could teach a child everything they didn't need to know about the universe from my garden, I'm an avid Italian gardener, they don't believe me. I could teach them biology, microbiology, physics, uh, you name it. And listen, Rocco, I've been renovating houses for 20 years, including on the National Inventory of Architectural Heritage. And is that right? Nice. Monuments, yeah. Just the thing is why I, I've been doing that all my life. I grew up on a farm as well, you know, and we Me learned. Too. I was born on one, yeah. Yeah, but the thing is why I did it was I've, I, my father would have encouraged us to invest in, you know, as children even in shares and, you know, understand the stock market. But I realized when I saw the way science was going, you know, about the lack of integrity and how they, uh, you know, can manipulate people to collude in things, that when I started very early, I thought, okay, I'm going to renovate houses and get an independent income, which I've done all my life, which means that if someone tries to, you know, get you to do something, I just smile and then make my plan to move on. Or else just look at them and say, you know, I, if you're going to, fire me or threaten me or whatever it, I just dependence and freedom yeah. yeah or i'll go back to be a waitress like i used to do in uh, it's, new jersey new it's York. so true people wonder why the scientists uh are all seem to you know parrot the party line and it's because if they don't they lose their jobs if you don't have that independence i we were talking uh, i had a conversation with dr sherry tenpenny a few weeks ago yeah. on one of these round tables She was the only person that hadn't really felt persecution from the system. And it was because she had her own independent practice. I mean, this was, you know, we were talking about persecution in the medical field and, you know, other people on the panel had their stories and she was like, well, she felt a little censorship, but she was independent. And so she didn't have to toe the party line and she didn't ever have to stand up against the system like a Dr. Judy Mikovits has to do. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that's what we have to learn for the students, you know, the generation, because now have a cohort that would be about age 30 you know who've also grown up with mobile smartphones from mm-hmm. 30 to 5 that we almost need to sandwich them to have real innovation you know and re help them to be more innovative because they've been done sure. and a yeah. lot of what the universities have told them are fundamentally wrong around carbon dioxide and climate change and the immune system and in banking and economics and what's so insidious again about that is is that if they go out into the world having been taught false basis and premises of their field, they can't actually be innovative because they've actually got the flawed understanding of mm-hmm. how the So oh, we really I... need to get a new generation and really inspire them in the free market for these homeschooling right. or even people for to sure. retreat, you know? so, so and also not to feed into the automation agenda 
and this crash agenda. Because so interesting that well, Doug, to okay. Sorry, <laughs> Doug. Talk. No, go ahead. Go so, ahead. <laughs> so it's the last thing I say because we're almost hitting two hours. Is is that you know, uh, uh, give, uh, notwithstanding the context of the uh, pathology of slavery, your 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 president Jefferson said that the day America moves from an agrarian democracy to an urban one is the day the tyrant will take over. Most people don't know that Tom, that Jefferson fought hard, but he didn't carry the day and they compromised with the life, liberty and, and, secure, and uh, pursuit of happiness and property in the US constitution. Thomas Jefferson wanted a constitutional provision that said that if you were not an owner of free land, capable of feeding yourself, and you were an urban dweller, that if you were unemployed, the government owed you the constitutional duty to give you a job until you got back on your feet or owned your own property. Hmm. That would be almost seen as communist today. Right. Uh, he could not prevail, but he he exactly knew what happened because he said, when you don't have your own land, yeah. then you be you you become the slave of the power brokers. And you're beholden to them. You can't exercise your rights as a free individual because they put pressure on you. And he had it right. And that's what's happened now with all this. You know, uh, we've gone from an agrarian society in North America and in Europe, for that matter, to an urban one. And so now we're beholden to these these distribution systems and these employers. And the reason I'm okay as a lawyer is the reason they can't bribe me, threaten or anything is I'm independent. I've never worked for anybody. I'm a typical Southern Italian anarchist. I, I, I don't, <laughs> I'm never going to get a judgeship. I don't care. I'm never going to run for office. I don't care. So everything I have is of my own making So I'm independent. I can do what I want. Right. And it doesn't yeah. cost me and, anything. And you know, one of the things I'm going to throw out Rocco, cause you're one of the leading lights in the legal profession in the world is, we almost like, I think we need a people's uh, union, you know, where we kind of get rid of the United Nations and, and kind of get groups of people who volunteer, we'll say, you know, with none to try and have fundamental charters for how we can kind of regain or reassert some of these fundamental rights to allow countries to get back to where we want to be around localism and accountability, but to have some kind of arrangement but to almost have countries to stop taxes going to these globalist organizations that are just uh, living off of us and under our society. I think, I think, I think we, what we need is, uh, and it would need to be articulated and launched, and I'd be willing to, to, to try to uh, initiate something like this. We need an international citizens coalition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, brilliant. That's Perfect. what we need, basically. That's what I An international talking. citizens coalition that yeah. if something were happening in this country, we go to bat to the citizens of that country and vice versa. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and if it keeps going, and people who are who are committed to individual constitutional rights, which are basically generic now, right? Yes. Whether or not they're they're respected in the country varies in degree, but mm-hmm. the notion of certain basic, as I said, human attributes, no no yeah. citizen, no individual would argue with the yeah. fact that they should be allowed to think, express, and socialize, exactly. congregate. And live. Yeah. And, and I would use people rather than citizen, you know, that maybe. Right. Yeah, rather people, than. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, so I, use, I, I use citizen in the non 
non non yeah. non political term. You're yeah. quite right. Because uh, people. Yeah. So uh, the other thing, I guess, is that also a lot of our our money has been used to use, you know, uh, glyphosate and to put a lot of chemicals right. in the air. Right. No, no accountability, which is costing a huge amount of money, and also potentially with you know satellites that can beam down that there is no accountability if people don't want those that kind of you know infrastructure in the skies and right. space in the waters so that you know a people that we could potentially take class actions or something you know the way hold people to account and mm -hmm. have a, a forum that would reflect people's concerns that would call well, the well I, I like well, if this you a, if you had an organization like that you can target and initiate global action against different entities at different times exactly. that, that would be quite effective i, I think yeah, one is and what, what you know we can finish up on this concept maybe go another 10 minutes i think we started a little bit uh, after the hour but um something needs to replace this right left paradigm that we've already discussed that is just failing people and it really works to divide and conquer and i don't people aren't seeing the big picture like you were discussing rocco People see fascism as far right, but it's actually also kind of from the far left, like these totalitarian notions are actually interweaved. I think, all, well, I would actually argue purposefully within the right-left paradigm, no matter whether you're on the right or the left, you can be manipulated towards fascism, which is why those are the only two choices that they give us. So we need right. to actually cultivate or develop a political philosophy. I think as you're talking about, that's international in scope because- our enemies, the transnational corporations, are international in scope. They don't care about national sovereignty. And so why should our rights or our political strength be uh, you know, localized nation by nation? We need an international coalition to be able to deal with this. Just, I mean, COVID has made, made this international. We see the power that they have. They can control the world right now. So... Um, well, you see, the, the left or right fascists don't sit on a horizontal plane. They sit at the same point of the circle next to each other, okay? Mm -hmm. They right. meet on the same point of the circle. It's not this, left, right. It's left, right. They yeah. meet right here. <laughs> and as you go left, if you do the right vertically and left vertically, here are the fascists, and then you go down. And you have you have you have right wing liberals. You have right wing socialists. You have left wing socialists, right? Yeah. But the fascists on both sides, the left and the right, meet right here, and that's the reality. And me, I, I put in a vote for the anarchists. They're much aligned. It's the only <laughs> viable. It's the only viable political system where we get together to say, listen, we're individuals. Take care yeah. of ourselves and our brothers and yeah. sisters when we choose on our terms, but we shouldn't have government telling us what to do on much. Mm. Very little. Yeah. And because I also the explain to people that yeah, I, 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 an Italian uh, anarchist is a is a British libertarian. And a British <laughs> libertarian. Okay, we we have a lot in common. Uh, yeah. Not completely the same. But listen, my my people lived as subsistence farmers for seventeen generations on the same hills in a village to that that to this day does not have a police officer or a government official. We have in a village of twelve hundred people. Every profession, we've got two lawyers, a couple of doctors, nurses. What we don't have is a locksmith. Nobody has any locks where I come from. That's yeah, amazing. right. Okay, no, I'm, I'm not romanticizing it. I'm, I'm just saying the people have a natural ability to conduct and regulate their own affairs without the imposition of an oppressive state. And what is a state anyway, Doug? What is a government? It's just a compilation of 
a group of individuals who hijack and, you know, who, uh, who mm -hmm. steal. You know, it's like Woody Guthrie saying, some people steal with a fountain pen. I mean, that's your government. And, you know, and governments kill with their rifles. They got, you know, uh, people have to stop thinking about being taken care of, quote, by their government. Absolutely. But that comes from the education system. And actually, you know yeah. what, Dinesh D'Souza has been done great work, uh, you know, even uh, showing in the left and the democratic system and, you know, saying about how all the slave owners were actually Democrats, you know, to actually, right, of course. Mm. You know, the history that everyone's mm -hmm. been taught. And it, I think as well, that's part of why, um, you know, even in COVID-19, some half the population don't want to engage because they probably have an, a gut instinct that there's a huge, a lot of things wrong, but in their world, you know, it's kind of consistent and they right. don't. But it's, I think people like us might have spent 10 or 12 hmm. years realizing that everything that we were told is actually wrong. And it's almost right. a process of bereavement, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. On our Can side, I we're kind of happy because this is all consistent because we actually realize a lot of the things in banking, education, history, right, you know, right, health right. has been wrong. But for them, so that's why I am saying we need like a psychologist or whatever to develop a step program that they can be gently. Sure. Do you remember when you were told about the Iraq war and weapons of mass destruction? What happened to the people who came out and now we look back and you know that it, we yeah. might need to actually do that, but somehow we do have to. Uh, so, so I think or, or, or swine opportunity, you know, or the swine flu. swine flu or Zika virus. Okay, listen, Doug, can, can I can I just mention something that really hit me hard? Not yeah. hit me hard, but I came to the realization. Most of my friends, you know, are left to center in North American terms. And, uh, you know, they call me up and said, oh, I see you you filed a statement of claim, you know. And I, I say, yeah, have you read it? Uh, not yet, you know. And over the course of time, very few of my friends have read my, they're all lawyers, by the way, right? They, yeah. they haven't read my statement of claim. And I finally, I pressed them and I said, why haven't you read my statement of claim? I said, oh, geez, it's long. I said, <laughs> so I said, have you never read a book? And of course, they're offended. Of course, yeah, I've read yeah. thousands of books. I said, well, consider it a book, double space. It's only 191 pages. You're a lawyer, for God's sakes. And then it finally hit me. And this is where I, I really, I really, uh, you know, got a bit dejected. I know why they don't want to read my statement of claim. They know me as the lawyer. They know my yeah. reputation. They know the cases I win. And they know I've taken this on. There's a lot of truth in there. Yeah. They don't they, want to face it. They don't want to know. They yeah. just prefer to put on their masks yeah. and go to their cottage. It's, it's, right? it's and classic it denial. It weeks to figure that out. Yeah. They right. don't want to face the truth. Yeah. Just easier to, to go on. They know they're going to find a lot of truth there because they know me and they know my reputation. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be taking some flimsy, ridiculous yeah. case to court. And then it goes back to your Mark Twain quote, right? They don't mm -hmm. want to – it's easier to fool someone than to convince them that they've been fooled. They don't want to find out that they've been fooled. They'd rather just go along <laughs> with the of way course. things are. Yeah. Of course. Of yeah. course. So, but I'm usually uh, – you know, the G. Edward Griffin, and there's a lot of research, you only need two or 3% of the population to actually be aware to change society for the better. Right. And I have examples like in 1989, when the, the you know, the Stasi was one in four, uh, you know, when the Berlin Wall fell within a few weeks or whatever, that I do think that this is, with, it's actually an opportunity for us. They, the globalists will be exposed and it's just a matter of time. It is going to crumble. 
people, you know. Mm -hmm. Listen, uh, uh, Dr. Cahill, we have numbers to spare. The American Revolution, which was the highest uh, highest uh, uh, involvement of its uh, colonialists, was only 3% of the colonies, 3% yeah. partook. In During the 70s, in, in Canada, we had the FLQ crisis, Quebec Liberation Front. We had martial law on the streets. There was less than a dozen members. Uh, the, the Red Brigades were less than a dozen members. The Bader-Hoffmeyer wow. gang, less than a dozen members. Fidel Castro... Uh, 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 took a ship from uh, a small boat from Mexico with 13 men, landed on the shores of uh, uh, Cuba. They knew they were coming. They killed seven of them. Him and six others, including Che Guevara, went to the hills. And the rest, as they say, is history. Wow. I'm, not, I'm just using that as an example yeah. mm-hmm. of how few people. See, I'm one of those people. You know, there's a lot of people out there who have no problem believing that one virus can contaminate the world, but they have a problem believing that one good idea can also spread just as quickly. I'm not one yeah. of those people. Yeah. And we have I'm 20%. That's good. It, 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 we have 20% of Canadians who say, come hell or high water, you'll have to kill me before you inject me. To me, that's yeah. very promising. That's a huge resistance. Huge. Yeah. One in four. And Germany is saying about 50, 60% of Germany is awake. You know, they had 3 million mm-hmm. people. In That's Berlin. amazing. Yeah. yeah, I saw that. And I was I was happy to see I mean, they seem to have a lot of doctors that have been standing up and saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, these right. numbers don't right. add up. And the even people though the police listening. at the end started to arrest them and chase them as mm-hmm. they were right, which is very stupid. But there are, you know, the police as well. You can look at even their gear all over the world from Hong Kong to Germany to Ireland. They've all changed, you know, to um, they're right. it, trying. They're trying to under you know, various globalizations to change our relationship with mm-hmm. our politics. And I think that's what we have to be aware is that's what they want to do. They want to cause chaos. Uh, so we have to somehow overcome this without right. going into the chaos and the destruction, you know? Right. So and if anybody has a doubt that this is planned, whenever you hear statements from different leaders around the world, they're virtually verbatim the same statement that they get handed from the right. WHO. It's uncanny. If you believe in that kind of coincidence, right? It's the same yeah. frigging script, you know? What do we need to do to get the United States on board with this? I mean, I am just, I've been shocked at the lack of leadership or any real, uh, you know, I mean, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the thinkers in the United States are going abroad to the protest to speak. They're, they're not speaking here because nobody seems to be able to put together any kind of a viable anti-lockdown organization. So, I mean, what are, what are your well, observations see, I, on that? I see I see it differently because I'm an outsider to your society. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of cousins. I got a lot of family all over the states. Uh, but I see it a bit differently, Doug. America America, as usual, is a, is a, is an anomaly. And here's the difference I see that Americans feel feel secure. Americans know their constitutional rights like no other citizens in the world. And they feel secure and their right to bear arms, that if push comes to shove, they're gonna shoot back. And I think your leaders know that. And they are, most Americans are saying, okay, well, protest, yeah, but what for? The serious protesters are showing up at the Michigan legislature in full automatic weapon gear, right? Right, yeah. Real hardcore, mm-hmm. no vaccines for me, thank you. <laughs> and I I wouldn't underestimate the, the American population when the push comes to shove. Right now, the push sure. has not yet come to shove. And the other thing I say about America is I'm not so sure that things are not happening unless they get 
they get captured on a, on a smartphone, they're not being released. I like the example of the late 70s and 80s. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Puerto Rican Liberation Front was letting off a bomb, uh, 296 bombs in one year. And the only one that got mainstream press was the one they couldn't hide, that LaGuardia Airport. There was a deal between the government, the government and the media that they would not publicize any activity of the wow. Puerto, Rican, Puerto Rican Liberation Front, nor the Hawaiian independence movement that still wreaks havoc in hmm. Hawaii. You never hear about it. But tourists and other, you know, I'm not so sure things are not happening in the States already. And you're just right. not hearing sure. about it. Unless it gets captured on an iPhone, you're not going to hear yeah. about it. Yeah. And the other thing is when push comes to shove, you'll see Americans react and, you know, uh, and they're not going to react with protest. They're going to react with the well, setting there. Gun their sales have been going like through the roof. Yeah, gun yeah. sales have been going through the roof. So maybe right. that's it. Maybe people What's are like, that tell yeah, you? why What's protest? That why not just go down right. the street, get a gun and and uh, wait, you know, and see what happens next? Yeah. What, what's and that you know, tell Robert you Kennedy, a lot of Americans and Robert Kennedy and Sherry Tempany and, you know, mm -hmm. and even... Danny Rancor, Danny Kaufman, a lot of the American uh, scientists and doctors and the American frontline doctors and uh, doctors mm. gold, they right. have been They're standing up, you know, and the people in Bakersfield, you know, the two doctors in California. Right. Yeah, right. So we, you, you know, so we've been very um, inspired by them. And a lot of them have dedicated huge amounts of time to supporting us outside of America. Right. You, even when they don't feel as threatened. So I think, and they're doing a lot of the research to show that it's wrong in right. both North America. So a lot right. is happening, do you think? Yeah. Well, right. good. Yeah, thanks. That makes me feel a little bit better <laughs> about what's going on. That, it's easy to get. Not all states shut down. Idaho opted out. They passed a bill. Yeah. Uh, you have right. three states where they brought successful constitutional challenge to executive orders. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, they just filed another petition. Uh, similar to mine for the first time, uh, just attacking all the COVID measures on their substance. So things are happening, you know, and uh, uh, you have a very independent populace and uh, they they often speak with their guns, not their voice. Sure. All right. Which is unfortunate if this is where this is leading. If this is where it's going. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah. You know, so... You know, I'm. We'll I'm, try I'm and avoid that. We'll try and avoid right. that if we can. Well, that was an excellent conversation, you guys. Really, uh, uh, one of the top-notch uh, roundtable discussions that I've um, been a part of. Uh, lots of incredible Thank information you. in that, um, and both of you are doing such uh, great work in your respective countries. Uh, to educate people and to make uh, social change. So uh, appreciate that you've taken the time to come on the show. Thank you. Do you want to just, Doug. you can Thank make you. a maybe a completing statement or at least just give people, uh, you know, a, some contact information or a website information if they want to find out more about uh, about your work and where they can go to learn. Uh, sure. Mr. Delati? For me, I'm sorry, Dolores. For me, I, it's it's simple. You can go to two places. One is the my Twitter handle, which is the Twitter handle for my Constitutional Rights Center, which is Rocco Galati, as you spell my name. Uh, Rocco Galati Law is my Twitter handle. And our Constitutional Rights Center is uh, constitutionalrightsplural.center.ca. And we spell center the Canadian English way, not the American way. So it's R-E and not E-R. Okay. Okay. But if you go to my Twitter that's the Twitter handle for the Constitutional Rights Center. And, and the link to my website is there. Uh, and the Twitter is Rocco Galati Law. 
and you can follow what we're doing and you can participate in any way you want. I've, I've handed my statement of claim now to four different sets of lawyers abroad because they say well, it's, it's a marvelous piece of work and we can use the facts. I said, steal whatever you want, you know. So I think we, as Dr. Cahill says, we need to connect this way. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. And, and Dr. Cahill? Yeah, just for me now, I'm not really on social media, but uh, Dolores.com is my website. Uh, and you can contact me also through irishfreedom.ie. That's the uh, political party that I'm very honored to chair. And so we have rallies in Dublin uh, on this Saturday on the 12th. And there's a big rally that we're planning in Trafalgar Square for the 19th of September. It's mainly doctors and lawyers. So that's Resist and Act uh, for freedom and that's in Trafalgar Square. So we're also trying to raise money for that through PayPal. And I think we're trying to get money for the last one that we're 15,000 out of pocket that PayPal Unite for Freedom as well. So all these things. And I will be trying to bring a custodian brand, uh, which is to try and bring people together around education and food and health. Uh, but I'm just working on that at the moment. So, And thank you very much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be in touch with Rocco and Doug. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for thank coming on. Thank you both for coming. Uh, again, incredible conversation. I really appreciate your work. So uh, we'll get this up uh, within the week, definitely in time to promote um, these uh, rallies that are coming up. And hopefully uh, we'll see some more success spreading the word and, and uh, getting these protests, uh, getting numbers to these protests. So so everybody will hear what you're saying. <laughs> Brilliant. Great. Bye, Doug. Thanks. Thank you all Bye-bye. have a great day. Take care. Thank you. Thank Thanks. You. Bye. Well, hey, everybody, and thanks for checking this one out all the way to the end. If you're watching this, uh, you're going to get my personal wrap-up. That was one of the best roundtable discussions I think I've hosted, um, in fact, in all of my media career. Uh, it was just so um, such a pleasure for me to be able to get those two together. Uh, just right at the beginning of the interview, before we even got started, uh, Dr. Cahill was remarking on the fact that she'd really wanted to uh, meet uh, Mr. Galati uh, and get to know him, and I hope that they uh, take it from here and continue to work together. This international work that they're doing, uh, which is something I wanted to bring up, we talked about it a little bit, that there doesn't seem to be a heck of a lot of, of national organization happening here in the United States, but internationally, uh, Dr. Cahill is uh, talking with some 19 other countries. She's uh, working with this rally that's going to be happening on the 19th in London. It's becoming more and more international. We've got uh, Rocco Galati doing this work in Canada, suing the Canadian government over what's been happening with their COVID-19 response. So we need to have some kind of organized pushback, I think, against what's going on. Clearly, as we discussed in that interview, we're seeing an international, transnational corporate agenda at play here with these plutocrats, these corporate billionaires that can go country to country to country uh, and make uh, and control each different community, government by government. And, um, you know, there's no way that they could pull off such a huge uh, pandemic response so unified worldwide, country by country. And yet we've seen it. People uh, like myself who've been following these guys for a long time now, you can see it over and over again, similar issues even in the United States where they break it down state by state. State governments will pass something all at the same time. World governments will will pass uh, similar similar acts all at the same time. Similar issues become big worldwide all at the same time. And we were able to have that conversation a little bit today about just how much control they have over the media, Rocco uh, 
mentioning that the Canadian Broadcasting Company was a defendant in his injunction against the Canadian government saying, hey, you know, these guys are censoring all alternative views. Of course, we're seeing this all across corporate media now, so this is a big deal. Uh, in fact, uh, probably the reason why such uh, young production companies like Transparent Media Truth can get such big names to have these conversations on our platform, and hopefully uh, you all will do the job of helping to spread this around. Please post it. People need to see it, uh, and we're going to be you know, getting shut down more and more. Certainly shadow banning is happening, uh, and more and more censorship across these large third-party platforms that we've been relying on for distribution. So... Um, I urge all of you to try to go to the website at transparentmedia.com or my website at theshiftnow.com and start thinking about helping, helping producers like ourselves out by going straight to the web uh, where we have control over our website instead of relying on these third-party platforms for distribution because this is uh, a big deal. Uh, other things that we started to talk about was the need for a real citizens movement that can actually take some of these guys to an international criminal court um, because they're able to work on a cr on an international level while the citizens can only go to each individual uh, country's government and say, hey, you know, we don't want this to happen here, we don't want this to happen here. So maybe a few countries uh, have citizens movements that can be effective, but worldwide these plutocrats are able to work with impunity and we've seen uh, where the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, for example, is the second largest donor to the World Health Organization. So when s single individuals can have this much financial sway over international bodies, Rocco mentioned he can't even believe that in the United Nations they allow individual donors to give money to these organizations. Where think about it, just like he said, in your country, uh, you know, if the if the head of a major corporation was allowed to give to uh, the organizing body that was overseeing, uh, you know, his industry, his or her industry, what do you think we'd do? We'd all be mad as hell. And instead, they do this at the United Nations. Nobody says a peep. Uh, it's just crazy what's going on. Um, so thankfully, we have people like Dr. Cahill and uh, Rocco Galati to be able to stand up to these guys. But we do need to start motivating uh, citizen by citizen, person by person, country by country, but also internationally, so that we can have a movement that can that can stand up against what these plutocrats are able to do at these international venues and on this international level. So um, that was a really important part of the conversation. Dr. Cahill really talked a lot about decentralization of power. I think this is something that we need to uh, start to hammer home uh, as more and more of a pushback organization starts to grow because I think this is going to have to happen. I mean, we've got five or ten years. This is the this is the new normal. Uh, if we don't stand up, then we're just going to get rolled over. Uh, so we need to start uh, developing political platforms for a new way of life that doesn't allow these people to just make these blanket decisions for all of us. Uh, and decentralization is the key. And I think, uh, again, something that we talked about quite a bit, education, decentralizing education is is clutch. We can't have one person, one group, decide what everybody learns. Uh, just like letting one group or a handful of people decide what everybody sees in the media. Uh, another thing that came up, we need to create societies based on diversity, 
and freedom of expression so that lots of different ideas can, can float out there. And everybody doesn't just get educated the same, and everybody's not just watching the same media. We're allowed to learn different things. We're allowed to have different opinions. Uh, you know, and decentralization of power is the key. The more that we allow uh, the centralization of power to continue and continue on the international level through the United Nations and organizations like the World Health Organization, the longer and the more these people are going to be able to infiltrate those organizations and then control each and every one of us. Uh, the coming surveillance state, which we didn't really talk about too much, but uh, you know, this is this is going to start to affect each and every one of us on an individual level. So these kinds of political actions being taken by the guests that you heard today on this roundtable discussion are extremely important and it's getting to a time when each one of us individually are going to have to learn how to stand up and say enough is enough and draw some boundaries uh, between ourselves and what we're going to let the governments and the corporations do to us with these public-private partnerships that provide unlimited funding for those that are politically connected. Um, I thought it was really interesting, too, that Rocco came out and just described himself as an anarchist. I have quite a few anarchists on my show, The Shift, The Shift with Doug McKenty, and I'm uh, always kind of exploring those ideas. It seems like people uh, who are uh, don't have, and we did discuss this uh, a little bit at the beginning, this idea that the belief in authority is so strong, and when you have that belief in authority... Uh, then it becomes, uh, you just have trust and faith in an organization that has really, how often has it really helped us out? You know, <laughs> let's think about that. I mean, Rocco uh, brought it up at the beginning. When has the government really helped us out? They take our money, they fund wars. Uh, you know, it's just, and, and the amount of corruption that we see clearly occurring. Um, in the United States, we call it lobbying, but it's legalized bribery, and we know that this is how our country operates. Uh, it's corrupt through and through. And so the faith that people have that what it is doing is for the good of the people, uh, it's just almost mind-boggling. Uh, and so it was funny for, for Rocco to just come out and call himself an Italian anarchist, old school. And uh, it does seem like, uh, you know, once you lose that faith in government or that faith in the authority figure, uh, so a lot of these things just start to become so apparent. Uh, it's kind of shocking to me that uh, we get sidelined as quote-unquote conspiracy theorists when a lot of times this information is, is out there, it's public, it's available. Uh, Dr. Cahill clearly... Uh, an educated woman, uh, extremely intelligent, and she's just telling it how it is. You can see the statistics. You can see what's going on. Um, and it really, it takes a, a real belief in authority. And it kind of blinds a lot of people, I think, from being able to just see the facts as they are. Uh, and of course, the difficulty in believing that the mainstream media is so controlled, and we did talk about that quite a bit as well, um, exploring just the notion that uh, there's just a handful of companies that can really tow this this what I call the uh, corporate government narrative and just say they say it over and over again it's basically just old school propaganda techniques and people hear it over and over again and they believe that these journalists are doing independent research and coming to these conclusions when in fact it's just the editors telling the journalists what to push out so people are getting this misinformation from the mainstream uh, and at the same time being told that what independent researchers like myself, like we're doing at Transparent Media Truth, uh, and like these people that we're interviewing, uh, the independent researchers that really are doing the work, uh, must be some somehow pushing uh, propaganda
and or misinformation. And I can tell you uh, that none of us are getting paid, uh, you know, the big bucks to do this. We're, we're not getting uh, that, big, that big lobbying money uh, pushed under the table. Um, so it's a labor of love for people that are really out uh, to try to push the message. Uh, and uh, we're just hoping that more and more people are going to be listening to that message uh, as things progress here before it's too late, before this surveillance state really clamps down, before we're all being contact traced, before we all have to quarantine, ask permission every time we want to travel, um, before we all have to prove that we've gotten a vaccine before we can use our bank accounts or, or go to the grocery store. So I uh, really want to thank both of our guests for the work that they do, uh, especially at Dolores Cahill, who's out there doing the political speeches uh, out there at these rallies. She was telling us a bit after the interview that it's actually starting to get pretty sketchy. Like, um, you know, it's quite possible that the people who are organizing these rallies are going to get... Uh, pulled up in this dragnet, this pre-crime dragnet that uh, that they're starting to put in place here with this surveillance technology. And uh, if you're having alternative ideas and you're trying to organize through freedom of assembly, uh, they're just gonna they're just gonna start treating you like they treat Julian Assange, uh, you know, throw you in a cage, throw away the key. Uh, and uh, you know it's going to be a few years before your trial kind of situation. So um, it takes a lot of courage to do this work, and the more people that stand up with her, then uh, the more power that she has to get the work done. So I hope you all uh, really enjoyed this. I hope you're listening, and I hope it pumped you up a little bit to become more and more active. And I can tell you, uh, one of the great pleasures that I have doing this work is connecting these activists together. <clears throat> Our last roundtable discussion with uh, Kate Shemarani and uh, Dr. Carrie Madej uh, actually uh, ended up having Dr. Madej uh, with a speaking engagement at that very same rally that's happening on uh, September 19th in Trafalgar Square. So uh, we're helping to, to make the connections that are making this happen, uh, and I feel really honored to do that and really honored to have conversations with the quality of guests like those that you saw in this last discussion between uh, Rocco Gulati and Dr. Dolores Cahill. So thank you so much. For listening, you can find uh, this and all of the roundtable discussions produced by Transparent Media Truth at transparentmediatruth.com or at Transparent Media Truth on YouTube. And uh, you can check out my podcast, The Shift with Doug McKinty at www.theshiftnow.com. I'm also on Facebook and YouTube at The Shift with Doug McKinty or on Twitter at D McKinty. So I uh, hope you enjoyed this one. Again, hope you got a little pumped up, maybe to do a little activism yourself locally. And uh, we'll see you on the flip side. We'll be producing these. Uh, we're producing these uh, once a week now pretty consistently. So uh, keep an eye out for the next one. And uh, I hope you all have a great day. Take care. Opinions and ideas expressed in this roundtable discussion do not necessarily reflect the views of Transparent Media Truth, but only those of the speakers participating in the discussion. Under the Copyright Disclaimer within Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976, 
allowances are made for fair use of public content for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Fair use is a use permitted by copyright statute that might otherwise be infringing. Nonprofit, educational, or personal use tips the balance in favor of fair use.